Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Bruiser. You both in Coco. Dino DMA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. Okay, guys, I know I say this all the time, but we have got a banger for you today. We've we've got some bangers. <laughs> you should just say, we've got a banger for you today. That should just be part of our intro. <laughs> Make it a staple now. <laughs> Well, no, but yeah. I, I, but I, for real though, we have a great film, and you and I were just talking about the films that we're gonna do in the future. Uh, Courtchester mm-hmm. is still happening, Mason. If you're yes. listening, I'm sorry. We are still going to talk about that film, but there are so many films that we want to talk about because it is a it's kind of a stacked month. We you know just to give you some little tidbits, we're going to be talking about a film that's cel- celebrating its 15th anniversary. Uh, we're going to be talking about the child of one of the most prominent Hollywood directors of all time. We're going to be talking about a celebrity who just passed away uh, not that long ago. So we have got some great films that we are going to be talking about pretty soon. Still talking about Court Jester, which is a great film. <laughs> I can't stress that <laughs> enough, but it, you know, it's just, there's a lot, to, there's a lot happening. Yeah. And ultimately we want to like grow our podcast, you know, um, and sometimes, you know, we have to talk about movies that, are hitting these like landmark anniversaries so that maybe some people who are like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in learning about this. And these guys have something that's, that's new. You know, it's, it's part of the the thing, you know? Yeah. It's again, we love to revisit it. And when you have an anniversary, like 50th or 15th, these are pretty big. It's pretty, it's good to go back. It's like, Hey, let's see how this is aged, you know? And this is a movie that like film people love you know, mm-hmm. and and I would consider myself a film person, but I've never actually seen this movie. Yeah. What what film are we going to be talking about, Austin? Today, we're going to be talking about 1972's The Godfather, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. This movie is, I mean, you said it great. This is a film person's movie. I, I don't know a single film person who dislikes this movie. Uh, it, it's almost like if you don't like this movie, you have to like give your film person card back. <laughs> this and like <laughs> yeah. this and like Star Wars, <laughs> which we haven't been referencing. But like, I mean, Star Wars is loved by a lot of film people, you know? Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's the it's similar with Star Wars. People love the second one even more. Yeah. A lot of opinions about this film. This is, a, like, it, you know, it's kind of up there in like the greatest movies of all time. You know, usually yeah. like Citizen Kane will be up there, but like The Godfather is not that far. In fact, for a lot mm-hmm. of people, it is one of the greatest films of all time, which side yes. note, I always thought was a weird thing to say, right? Because it really is, isn't it? Yeah, because films are. There's so many things that we can judge a movie by. What makes it the greatest of all time? Yeah. How much money it made? Because if that's the case, I... Avatar or Gone with the Wind, one of those two films would be the greatest of all time. What it's Rotten Tomato score. I mean, they didn't have Rotten Tomatoes back in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 interesting. But this is very a highly regarded film 
that a lot of people have seen and a lot of people haven't seen. I I actually think a lot of people, especially nowadays, haven't seen The Godfather. Maybe they saw it as yeah. a kid, but it's not a film that people actively revisit, you know? But it's it's a film that, like, people know the music from it. People know some of the scenes because it's referenced on their, like, favorite sitcoms or, or movies, you know? Like, this, even if you haven't seen it, you know it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's that scene in Zootopia. Zootopia. <laughs> where they where they bring in a little mini Marlon Brando played by some animal. I don't know what the animal is, but he's doing the Marlon Brando thing. He's like, <laughs> you come to me on my daughter's wedding day. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm terrible. Oh, man. You come to oh, me. Man. In, I need a, like cotton. I need cotton in my mouth. <laughs> but, but, but that's a movie for children. Like adult, yeah. adults as well. Disney's for everyone but you know five to uh, 15 year olds aren't going to be able to understand that reference they're like what is this they'll think it's kind of funny but they don't know who marlon brando is yeah so it's it's in every reference and this movie is super quotable right like it's oh yeah if you want to talk about almost influential one of the most influential films this might be it Honestly, like Star mm-hmm. Wars is up there, but like The Godfather, I think I've seen more references to The Godfather than Star Wars, probably. I don't know about that. I don't know, man. It's just like <laughs> The Simpsons, Disney. I I mean, okay, maybe that's a controversial take, but basically what I'm trying to say is just that The Godfather has been referenced for a, a lot, a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool to go back and revisit this scene. Has The Godfather aged well? Is it the greatest film of all time? I've seen this movie. I still love it. Um, I think you might like it, Austin. I don't think we're here to argue the merits of the film. I think it's more of just of course not. yeah, because the film has the film has been acclaimed. You know, it's nothing we're gonna say is gonna change the legacy of The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I am excited to to watch this movie for the first time. I'm also very excited to learn about how this movie was made because I know it has a story, you know, like he was making a movie about gangsters, Mm -hmm. but I don't think very many movies about gangsters were made like like real gangsters. I think there was some kind of um, what do you call it? Like a consultant that was on board with the on board with the film. I heard stories about like the mob having to give permission to Francis Ford Coppola to make this movie. (laughs) I don't know how much of that is true, but I'm excited to go in on that. Absolutely. I mean, this, the making of this film is wild. They're making a TV show about the making of this movie. Like Francis Ford Coppola is played like all everyone in the real life who made the film is played by an actor. Miles Teller's in it. I guess he's playing some producer. Francis Ford Coppola is played by the guy from um, Dan Fogler. Really cool guy. Really talented guy. Um, Balls of Fury is like the first thing that I think of when that he was in. But Dan Fogler is playing (laughs) uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Like, this is a show. It's not a movie. So it's a show about the making of this movie. That has to let us know. That lets us know that they went, they had to move mountains to make this movie. Yeah, it's like, of course, gangster movies have been made before this, but like to this level, 
there was something different was was going on when they made this movie. Well, Hollywood has always been obsessed with mobsters and gangsters. I mean, mm-hmm. back in the fifties and stuff, they people Hollywood was obsessed with gangsters. So why was this movie any different? Why couldn't they just have made this movie like any other film? You know, why did they need yeah. why did they need the mob involved? Why was it so controversial at the time? It's a mobster film. Why why are we making a big deal about it? Apparently. the italian american society or something hated it i'm just like okay let's i I think this might be an episode where we talk more about the history than the actual film um because could be because just there's so much how many books have been written about this film you know i have one i own one and it's a it's a goddamn (laughs) bible it is a controversial film a highly regarded film i it won the oscar it won a ton of oscars this has an a plus cast like this cast is stacked and it's it's made by arguably one of the greatest directors of all time you know a man that has hit home run after home run so i'm excited i'm pumped you've never seen this film right correct i'm going into this already having like knowing it and stuff really i'm just re-watching the film just to rewatch it I, i'm more curious as to what you think and to learn more about the behind the scenes because that's one thing i haven't dwelled into the making of the film so this is gonna be a really interesting uh really interesting episode yes it is so as the name of the show in case you're curious is called the offer and it is going to be on paramount plus one of the newer streaming services as far as the godfather goes the godfather is on youtube Voodoo, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Apple TV, all for a 3 to $4 rental charge. It's unfortunately not streaming anywhere else, as far as I know. Is it on HBO Max? Oh, is it? It is not on HBO Max, okay. unfortunately. I clicked on the link that said The Godfather on HBO Max, and then it gave me the 404 page not found. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, it looks like if you unless you own the movie, you know, you're going to have to pay 3 to 4 dollar rental fee to watch this movie along with us. But this movie came out in 1972, and in case you're curious, I have a list of the highest-grossing movies from 1972 just so we can get an idea for what the going to the movies in 1972 looked like. Number 1 at the domestic box office was The Poseidon Adventure. What? Okay. Number, Never heard of that. The Poseidon Adventure, I believe, is a uh, disaster movie where like a, a cruise ship is sinking. Oh, I know about the you remake heard of it? with Kurt Russell. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of dated ever since Titanic came out, right? Like, who cares about about this ship sinking? You know. <laughs> well, James Cameron just probably did it bigger and better. So poor, poor Poseidon. Yeah, it was it was a big deal when it came out in 1972. And then number two was The Godfather. Number three is What's Up, Doc? Number four, Deliverance. Number five, this is nuts. Number five was Deep Throat, the porn movie. <laughs> Have you seen the, Deep the Throat? Porn... I haven't seen Deep Dude, Throat. We... I saw, I saw the, the Loveless, Loveless movie with um, Amanda Seyfried. Uh-huh. Seyfried. And it was, it was all right. It was it's pretty eye-opening, I think. We we saw Deep Throat in my 60s cinema class. 60s or 70s cinema class. I think it was... I forgot. It was... Probably 70s, because this is 1972. Oh, right. uh, I keep I keep forgetting what that... What, what decade that class was. It's 70s, but... 
We watched it in our 70s class, and that was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen. Like, just, <laughs> like with it, with a group of people. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Yeah, with a group of people. Yeah, and, and our professor mm. was like, hey, if you guys don't want to be here for this, that's totally cool. But, you know, we this is we are watching this for educational purposes and stuff. And I mean, like, he made it educational, but if you guys don't know what <laughs> Deep Throat is... It's a porno, but um, I was going to say Google it, but if you're not interested in that, then don't Google it. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is, like, it was so popular, they, they made a, like, like a non-porn version of it. Is that what they did to, I don't to have it that. released while they might have. They do that? I know they did that for that pirate movie that came out, at, like, after Pirates of the Caribbean. Maybe this isn't the one where they did that, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was very, very popular. Um, I think my... My girlfriend's mom went to go see it too. <laughs> it was it was wild. Um, but you know, there is like a whole story about you know shooting behind the scenes and how she didn't really know what she was doing in in that movie. You know the the actress, the Linda Lovelace. I think that's her only. That might be one of her only porn movies because it was a terrible, terrible experience for her. Oh. You know, um, like not joking, not not joking, but that might be a good movie to revisit. It's, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's number five in the highest grossing films of that year. It was, a, I mean, it was a big thing. Uh, there was a culture around watching porn, pornos at theaters. I mean, that thinking about it, that might be a pretty good movie to talk about. Go back and revisit because that definitely does not happen nowadays. No, no, huh. and I, I think now. Uh, they're more careful, like they're more um, like the porn actresses have more, well, in, at least in some, more control over like what they get to do or what they have to do in scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't think she had any choice. Oh, okay, that's so it. It was a it was a really really bad experience for her. You know, that's what that that whole the Amanda Seyfried Loveless movie was about like the first half was very like glamorous like oh my god i'm gonna become a big star then the second half is like oh my god we had no idea what you were going through it's it's really dark to me that sounds like depressing. a perfect retrograde uh episode because again that's why we do this we go back and we see what's changed and i mean i that sounds i, I mean here's the thing it might have happened in deep throat but you know that wasn't the only set where that happened where an actress Absolutely. has to do things that she didn't want to do, right? And that even happens in Hollywood. And, and I mean, one of the biggest offenders of that just got kicked out recently. Recently, not that long ago. So I don't know. Okay, that that's an interesting film. All right, number six, Jeremiah Johnson. Okay, never heard of this movie. Never until I'm I'm just now. Number seven, Cabaret. Number eight. The Getaway, which we did mention on our Mad Max episode because uh, the camera that they used for Mad Max was from this movie. Mm. <laughs> like the actual camera. It's a Steve McQueen um, escape movie. Number nine, Last Tango in Paris. Number 10, Lady Sings the Blues. Last Tango in Paris. That's Mar- Marlon Brando as well, right? I believe that is. Because I think... I think something happened to the actress in that film as well, where... Yes, it is Marlon Brando. Okay, so Last Tango in Paris is the one where I guess there was like a, a sex scene or a rape scene and the and the actress like wasn't 
I guess she didn't like totally consent or I I, I don't something there's some behind the scenes about that film. The the title yeah sounded a bit familiar because I think last year or two years ago some stories came out about that. Oh man, mm-hmm. rough. Yeah, they, they wanted to capture her like reaction to it, so they like did something for real. But it, it, I don't think she was raped for real, but she was definitely like assaulted. It's a shame. Yeah, man. it's a shame. It's it's terrible. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and. Uh, what else came out this year? Also coming out this year is a Bruce Lee movie, Way of the Dragon. Mm, okay. And then um, one of the Planet of the Apes sequels, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Which number in the series is that one, Austin? Since we've talked about this before. Without looking it up. Without, without looking, looking it, up. it up. Okay, so one, two, three. I th- I believe it was five. Okay. Now you could Google and check it. No, it's no, no. It's not. It's not five because I remember conquest sounds like you should have done this before the battle, or it sounds like something after the battle. Battle is the last one. Return is three. Conquest is four. Okay. Uh, oh wait. Hold on, uh, uh, uh. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Hell yeah! I was right. I was right. No, I. You said it was number four. Yes. I don't think it is. I think. Oh no. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So it's Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Jesus Christ. I remember. Do you know why I remember? How? Because we had that conversation. Yeah. And I remember the conversations that we have on this podcast. I, I, I remember that this, I remember that this was a big thing that we were talking about. So I remembered. <laughs> and I remember the challenge that I, I put on you. I was like, can you can you remember the order of these movies without looking it up? I think watching the second one helps me remember okay. because the way that second one ends is like, what the fuck? So that I can't, I can't forget the name of the third one, which was Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Mm. And then it's the conquest and then battle. I'm like, why conquest should be last. You know, you don't have a battle after the conquest, you know, mm-hmm. at least that's the way it works in my brain. No. And hey, it, it clearly works because you remembered. So you're good. <laughs> and we had that conversation like a year ago. Mm hmm. Time flies. For reals. <laughs> so so which one came out? Conquest of the Planet of the Apes came out this year. Yes, in 1972. Okay. Very adult box office. Oh, yeah. I don't think... I mean, the 70s, 60s and 70s were like that, man. I mean, Godfather number two? You could have a Godfather equivalent nowadays, and it wouldn't even crack the top 10. I don't think at all. Probably not. No. Do you want to see? Let's see. 2021 box office. Was there any kind of gangster movie, R-rated gangster movie at the top? Look for any R-rated films in general. Because the last R-rated film that I think was in the top 10 was Joker by Warner Brothers. And that was 2019. It was a superhero thing. Well, the Suicide Squad didn't that? No. Suicide Squad didn't, didn't crack the top 10. Wow. Also, it was on HBO Max and people could watch it at home. Exactly. Might have been a different story if it was exclusive, but um, definitely didn't, didn't crack top 10. The last R-rated film to crack the top 10 was Joker, I think. And nobody was expecting for it to do that. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to say about this movie before we jump ahead and, and watch watch this film? No, uh, I mean, obviously, big film. I mean, look at its Rotten Tomato scores. 97 with critic, 98 with audiences. I mean, this is, you look at the Metacritic score, it's 100. I mean, and again, you're going to you're gonna hear a bunch of people say, The Godfather is the greatest film of all time. Like, 
not much to say. Yeah, our, you know, I think people's expectations are very high, you know, when they, when they go in to see this. Really, I'm just here to learn a little bit more, maybe something I didn't notice, but I'm excited. I, I love watching this, this movie. Um, the yeah, ending I'm... is fucking dramatic. This is, a, <laughs> do you renounce Satan? I do. See, you're going to, you're going to get that. When yeah, you, I'm, I, I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to is I'm looking forward to putting, uh, the context to all these lines I've heard, you know, mm-hmm. you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding and, uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Yeah. This movie actually <laughs> taught me what a cannoli was. <laughs> no, I'm excited. This is going to be a great film. I can't wait to dive, dive into this. Um, three hour long film, but God I mean, damn. I, I mean, look, most people just sat down and watch a three hour Batman film. All right. <laughs> I didn't even do that yet. <laughs> Again, if, soon you're, though, soon. if you're someone who hasn't seen The Godfather, just watch it. Because this is a historical film. Like, this is a time capsule. This is number two at the box office is 72. It's considered one of one of the greatest films of all time by a lot of people, a lot of critics. So just if you haven't seen it, just watch it. And then come back and listen to what we have to say. Because, you know, because you like us. Our- Our conversations are pretty fun, I think. I I think they're very fun. All right. So we will see you in one minute. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. You know my father? Men are coming here to kill him. Now you want to get mixed up in the family business? I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. I never wanted this for you. Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. Michael, do you renounce Satan and all his works? I do renounce him. Don't ask me about my business, Kate. Is it true? the gun. Take the cannoli. Hello, everybody. We are back. We have just finished watching Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. It is the first time I have ever seen The Godfather. I'm, I studied film in college. I have a degree, a bachelor's in film and media, film and media studies or something like that. But I've never seen The Godfather until about three days ago. <laughs> All right. So this is like my, I think I've seen the movie like four times up until now. Uh, I said that I generally like the film, but I am curious as to what you think. What do you think of this film, Austin? Uh, I think it is a great movie. Doesn't need to be three hours though. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. We will get into uh, why. I, I know exactly where, where I'm like, I don't know what what this is in the movie for. It's fun. I know exactly where it is. Where I'm like, this wouldn't happen in a movie made today. Oh, you know what? I I could see that. I think the movie is a little short. If anything, I could watch another hour of this. <laughs> like the thing is, it's never boring. No, you know, Mm-mm. it's never boring. It's entertaining all the way through. There's suspense. There's the way it's shot is. Is like there's some scenes in the movie where the camera is like doing some things that l- let you know that Francis Ford Coppola is like a really good director. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. 
he Francis is a great director. Like he has made banger after banger after banger. If for those of you guys who don't know, he directed the other two Godfather films. Uh, he directed Apocalypse Now, The Conversation, Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula, on on top of some other films. But he, <laughs> he did that one too. Which one? Bram Stoker's? Yeah. Oh yeah, he did that one, and that's a great oh, film. That movie's wild. That's one that critics don't like. It's not as beloved as his other films. I think they're wrong. This movie is gothic as fuck. Uh, and it's fantastic. I wish he kind of did a Batman film. <laughs> oh, my God. Francis Ford Coppola's Batman. Yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> Woo. Well, knowing how he does it, he would call it Bob Kane's Batman. You know, because he does Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula. For, uh, Mario Puzo's The Godfather. Great director. Like, he's made a lot of he made he's made a lot of fantastic films. Um. And watching this movie, I'm like, holy shit, I could see another hour added on top of this because there is so much to unpack. Honestly, mm-hmm. this might be one of our reviews where the one of those episodes where the review is longer than the behind the scenes because there's a lot to get into in this, into the story. Um, mm-hmm. So much. And for those of you who haven't seen it, look, I recommend it. Austin, I recommend the film. Austin, it sounds like you recommend the film as well. Yes, I do. If you haven't seen it, like it's still... It's it's really interesting to go back and watch this film and see how many like where all the references come from put into the context of the movie kind of kills the vibe a little bit, but it's worth it because you know, it's, it's an entertaining movie at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And again, we've said this before, but this is one of those cultural films that you just got to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, it's re- required viewing. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's a list of 150 films you need to watch before you die. And some of those films are like, hey, you could go without watching this. You're fine. This is going to be on that list, along with like Jurassic Park and Star Wars. And uh, like it's it's up there. And yeah. I don't really. Um, yes, the runtime is daunting. Runs three hours. It's not the most action packed movie. So if you have a hard time sitting through some movies, you might have a hard time with this one. But granted, the way, you know, because of VHS and home rental and stuff, like, you could pause and start this movie whenever you'd like. And there's, like, it's funny because NBC, when they aired this movie, like, in the 70s, they aired it over two nights, right, in two-hour blocks. So, like, they the, the, the first hour and a half was played the first night. It had commercials. And then the second night, the rest of an hour and a half with commercials. And that's probably like the way to go. Like at the hour and a half mark, there is like a clear like we are moving on. Like, yeah, the story is going to follow what just happened. But we are like this is a this is a good stopping point. So, again, yeah, it's three hours long. It's streaming. It's you can watch it on your TV. Pause it one night. Pick it up the next. There's no excuse. Just watch. Just watch the fucking thing. This is a great film. So. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, we both recommend it. Austin, can you give us a mm-hmm. little summary of this three-hour-long movie? A little movie? summary. God damn, that's that's hard. That's a hard, a daunting task for someone who's just watched the movie for the first time. But do, do I you will want, try. Do you want me to try it? I I could try <laughs> it. I don't I don't give too many summaries, so I could I could give it. A so the film begins with Vito Corleone's daughter's wedding, Connie. And this is kind of the scene where everyone is introduced. You've got all the main players. You've got Don Don Vito Corleone, played by the fantastic Marlon Brando. And it starts off with that scene where uh, you have uh, this guy 
talking to Vito, saying that he wants revenge because his daughter was almost raped and assaulted, and he wants the men who did it killed. It starts with like the "I believe in America," "I love America." That speech alone, there's so much to break down in that speech alone. Yes. But then, so the very the first half an hour of the film takes place at the wedding where we are introduced to everyone: Don Vito Corleone. Tom Hagens, who is kind of Vito's adopted son, but not really adopted, but kind of taken in. Uh, then you have Santino, as everyone who is calls his him. consigliere. Oh, well, That's yeah. Don, Tom Hagens is his counselor, but his uh, consigliere. Consigliere. I'm, oh, I got. That's it. that's not how they say it. I know, but they they say it so often and so much that I just had to say it along with the film. <laughs> but Tom Hagens is basically Vito's counsel. And then you have Santino, who everyone refers to as Sonny, who's a bit more of the brass, kind of tough, loudmouth, who's kind of in line to become the next Don. You've got Fredo, who's kind of like the dumb son. <laughs> Fredo's an idiot, and he plays a big part Fredo, in the second one as Fredo well. Fredo is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's that sibling. We all have one. I'm the Fredo of the family. <laughs> and then you've got Michael played by Al Pacino who brings his girlfriend Kay played by the wonderful Diane, like Diane Keaton who is fan I love her so then you've got Michael who brings Kay and he introduces his family and he kind of explains to her he gives her some background on his family and you know we have a scene where this guy Johnny Fontaine goes up to Vito he's like hey I want to be this big movie star but this producer isn't giving me the part Vito sends Tom Hagens to talk to the producer. Tom talks to the producer, and the producer is this crazy guy. He's he, one of my favorite. This guy says one of my favorite lines in the entire film. Um, but he, you know, he fights back. He's like, "I'm not putting that guinea pig in my film." They say guinea a lot in this movie. Actually, I don't yeah, even feel like saying guinea. Yeah, ah, it's keeps- it's a it's a slur. It's an Italian slur, but I, it's it seems like. It's the kind of slur that Italians, some Italian Americans use to refer to one, one another. But if it's said from a non-Italian person, I feel like it's it's kind of bad. Yeah, and they use it a <laughs> Do you lot. You know what it refers? Yeah, they use it a lot. Do you know what it refers to? I don't. It refers to the western coast of Africa. And I believe that the intent is to say these Europeans are aren't real europeans they're more african than europeans or something like that okay which okay so it's like racism and uh two twofold i guess yeah jesus christ yeah because you're insulting uh, africans as well jesus yeah um so this horrible producer is not going to put this guy johnny fontaine in the video and in the in his motion picture so tom hagan's you know this is that famous scene that people have parodied where the movie producer wakes up in bed and you know he see, he sees that there, it's like wet he pulls the the comforter away and you see the the horse's head cut off put inside bled all over this man i was i was laughing during that whole scene i'm sorry sorry <laughs> for a horse but i do feel bad for the horse it's the only crime was being beautiful i know i, f- I felt so bad for the horse but um but so that just kind of gives you an idea as to how this family operates, how powerful they are, and how they get what they want. So as the film goes on, you have this guy, Salazzo, go who goes up to Vito and he says, Hey, I want to get, hey, I have a narcotics empire that I wanna that I need your help. I need your financing. If you allow me, 
I can make you a boatload of money. And Vito says no. He doesn't want to deal with drugs. Um, but Salasso sees that Sonny's kind of interested in it. And he gets the idea that if he kills Vito, he get, that Sonny will become the next Don and Sonny will okay the deal. So that's what Salazzo does. He goes and he kills uh, Luca Brazzi, who's Vito's right-hand man, his muscle, and they try to assassinate Vito. They shoot him five times. But Vito survives. Uh, and he's at the hospital. Now, this guy just put out a hit on one of the biggest crime families, like, the biggest crime family in New York's done. So, and they missed. They didn't kill him. So now everyone's gunning for Vito. The police, Salazzo, potentially some of the members of the other of the other five families in New York, other five crime families. Michael's devastated by this. He goes visits his father in the hospital and he notices a lack of security. And he realizes that they're going to assassinate him tonight. They're going to assassinate my father. Thankfully, Michael evades them. He's able to protect. I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but Michael is not involved with the crime part of the family at all. I did not. You're right. He's like a war hero. And he went to to law school, an Ivy League school, I I believe his brother refers Mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Um, So this is like his first step into doing anything, you know, extra legal. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. He I mean, in that wedding, it. He seems like he's talking down about his family. You know, like, that's the, that's them, Kate. That's not me. You know, that's a quote. But he yeah. protects his father. Um, and he protects his father. And that's when Sonny, Tom, Michael, and Clemenza, another member of the, of the family. He's not a family member, but he's muscle. They're like, what are we going to do? And Michael comes up with the idea that we're going to kill the police commissioner, the corrupt com- uh, police commissioner, and we're going to kill Salazzo. And that's, you know... Uh, and Michael's the one who does the assassination. He kills Salazzo and McCluskey, the police commissioner, when they're trying to make a deal, when they're trying to, okay, we killed your, we tried killing your father. Let's bygones be bygones and let's get these narcotics. Let's get these drugs out on the street. Like, let's, you know, let's just move. Let's work out a deal. Let's work out a deal. Let's meet at this restaurant. And Michael. Clemenza has had some people tape a gun to the, to the, the back of a toilet. Yeah. Michael takes the gun, kills both of them, and he has to escape New York and go to Sicily to hide out. Back in New York, there's like a war that's raging between the families and the Corleone family, you know, and months pass, almost maybe even close to a year passes, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Back in New York, the families are fighting in Sicily. Michael, he's in hiding the family like Salazzo's people want to find Michael and kill him, uh, but he's in hiding and he finds this beautiful Italian woman called uh, Apollon- Apo- Apollonia. A- A- Apollonia? Sure. I-, I was trying to remember her name because her name's really unique. Yes, it's very unique. I, I bet it's it's going to take you more time to find her name than actual screen time she has. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Apollonia, you know, Apollonia, he meets her. He strikes up a relationship with her. He never officially said bye to Kay, by the way. Like, he... He commits the assassination. Well, she says, when will I see you again? And he says, I don't know. Yeah. And he doesn't say <laughs> and bye. Then she, and then she doesn't see him for presumably years. I think like two years at the least. Yeah. Uh, but so he goes to Italy. He finds this Sicilian woman. He marries her back at home. They're making, you know, there's a war happening. And Connie, 
whose wedding we saw at the very beginning, her husband, Carlo, we see Carlo. He's a real piece of shit. Oh, he, man, I got some thoughts on this motherfucker. We see him physically beat Connie when she's pregnant. Like, you could see that she's pregnant. She's showing. So he beats her and Sonny, she calls Sonny. And as Sonny's, obviously her older brother is about to go beat the shit out of Carlo. He gets assassinated as well. He gets Bonnie and Clyded. Oh, yeah. He gets Bonnie and Clyded hard. Which, if you don't know, it's basically like five Tommy guns at one person. It's brutal. So Sonny's dead. As this news reaches Michael, you know, he has to go into hiding again because they're getting closer to finding him. And his he Michael has these bodyguards in Sicily. Uh, Fabricio. Fabricio's like the fun, the cool. Like, they're both cool bodyguards. And Are they? Yeah, yeah, they're well, they're cool for a while. <laughs> um, you know, one day Michael. One of about them to, betrays Michael. Yeah, Fabrizio's the one what who I'm getting betrayed. At. Well, so what happens is Michael, Michael's about to go drive up to the city, and Fabrizio puts a bomb in the car, and his wife's in the car. Fabrizio didn't want to kill his bodyguard. Didn't want to kill his wife. He wanted to kill Michael, but his wife's in the car. She blows up as Michael's walking towards her as he realizes what's happening. So she dies in front of him. Fabrizio escapes and Vito, who's kind of recovering still, but he's, he's able to talk and stuff. He meets with the five family and he makes an arrangement for them to, he agrees to sell drugs and to share his political influence. The politicians that are under his belt to allow, so he gives them access to their politicians to sell drugs in order to bring Michael back and to stop the war. And I think at at this point, you because you think that it's Salazzo who was the guy who was trying to bring the narcotics in was partnered with Tatalia, mm-hmm. but I somehow in this meeting, Vito determines it wasn't it wasn't Tatalia, it was Barzini. Well, it was Tatalia and Barzini. Uh, Barzini, Tatalia was in on it. And we, we, yeah, and like everybody knows that Tatalia was in it because they kill his son, Bruno. But then he realizes, like, oh, it's Barzini. So at this meeting, Vito wants to set peace and he wants to bring his son back. But again, you're, you're right. He is also trying to figure out who's behind all this. And he finds out that it's Barzini and Tatalia, two dons of the other families. So Michael comes back and he is now fully integrated into the mafia. So Michael is the new Don. He's learning all the ropes. Vito's giving him power. And they are making a move to take out the other families. Because they look weak. Right? He's like, we can't look weak. It's like, it, it, we are weak. We're making a weak move. So him and Vito are making plans to take out the other families. And ultimately they do. He mar- So Michael, in the meantime, marries Kay. He has a child with her. He becomes the godfather to Connie's kid. Who's married to Carlo, who will come back. And that's when we he get demotes this. he demotes Tom Hagen from Consigliere. Yes. Um, and that's when they decide to go to war. And there's the famous scene where they're at the baptism that's intercut with all the assassinations happening. Of all the members of the five families, of uh Mo Green, who's the head of a casino, like it's it's a slaughter. Basically anyone who's wronged him, plus the other other heads of the other five families. Yeah. They all get assassinated. And before Vito, you know, he's an, he's really old at this point, and he tells him before he dies, uh, Barzini's going to want to make, uh, he's going to call a meeting. He's going to come to somebody you trust. And whoever whoever that is, 
is going to be a traitor for the family because they're going to arrange for you to get assassinated. So you're kind of waiting to see who it is that's going to approach Michael to set up this meeting with the other crime boss, Barzini. And it kind of seems like Clemenza is unhappy with the family. And also there's Tessio. And it ends up being Tessio that Mm -hmm. goes to approach Michael to arrange the meeting. And like you mentioned, uh, Vito Corleone does die. Not not because of his wounds or anything. He fully recovers from that. He just died. He like his heart gives out. You know, he is old. Mm-hmm. So he dies. Um, he dies, uh, you know, off screen or he died. He dies on screen, but he dies a, playing with his grandson. Yeah. Uh, and that's when he finds out that Barzini's behind it. He finds out that Tessio is the one who who is working with Barzini. And that's when the assassination happens, along with the baptism. And at the very end, all the five families, Dons have been killed. Some of their muscle, people that have been gotten in their way, traitors of the family, all killed. And at the very end, it's, you know, Michael in Vito's old office, you know, being addressed as the Don as Kay watches and realizes that, oh, dang, like, what did I get myself into? And, And Connie and... While he while he's cleaning house, he also kills Carlo, you know Connie's wife, the man who's been beating her. He kills Carlo in a bad way, and that dude had it coming. Fuck him. He kills Carlo, and Connie's upset and starts yelling at Michael and saying, "You killed him! You killed him! Why did you kill him?" And Kay asks Michael, "Did you actually do it?" And Michael lies and he says, "No, I had nothing to do well, with first it." First, he says, "Never ask me about my business." <laughs> yeah, and then he yells another it. famous line, and then he. He yells it, and then he tells her he I did I, I I had nothing to do with it, and then that's when we see other new some new people approach him and address him as the Don, and that's the end of the film. So it's a it's a lot a lot more happens a lot more. There's a lot that happens in this movie. Um, it's a three mm-hmm. hour long movie, but those are kind of the basics. So let's get into it. Let's talk about this movie. Um, let's talk about this. Movie. Let's let's talk about the opening. Which is the famous monologue from the, from uh, from from the coroner kind of who says, "I believe in America. I love America." Or actually, let me let me put it up. Pull it up. I believe in America. America has made my fortune, and I raised my daughter in the American fashion. I gave her freedom, but I taught her never to dishonor her family. She found a boyfriend, not an Italian. She went to the movies with him. She stayed out late. I didn't protest. Two months ago, he took her for a drive with another boyfriend. They made her drink whiskey, and then they tried to take advantage of her. She resisted. She kept her honor. So they beat her like an animal. When I went to the hospital, her nose was broken. Her jaw was shattered. Held together by wire. She couldn't even weep because of the pain, but I wept. Why did I weep? She was the light of my life. Beautiful girl. Now she will never be beautiful again. I, I went to the police like a good American. These two boys were brought to trial. The judge sentenced them to three years in prison and suspend the sentence. Suspended the sentence. They went free that very day. I stood in the courtroom like a fool. And those two bastards 
They smiled at me. Then I said to my wife, for justice, we must go to Don Corleone. And you got to remember, this guy's an undertaker. This yeah. guy puts dead bodies in the ground. <laughs> well, this movie's already setting up a lot. Like, the movie takes place in the 40s, and Bonazera, that's his name. There's a lot happening there. Yeah, a lot that you can deduce, you know, about the the nature of this guy's business. What he believes in. The, the status of women in yeah. these families. The, the status of immigrants and how they see America. Because yeah. what what strike what strike there's a lot happening here. But growing up, my my father's an, my father's an immigrant. Uh, my dad mm-hmm. was a, a refugee from Nicaragua during the Iran Contra incident, and my mo- my mother also immigrated to America. So I'm first generation. And when you hear when I hear my dad talk about America, he talks about it in kind of the same manner. Like I believe in America. America is where I've made my fortune. Right. It's the idea that America is the great home like it is where you, if you work hard the you land be, of opportunity the land of opportunity right which is an idea that is still alive today right mm-hmm. a lot of immigrants feel that way I, I i'm sure a lot of kids who are first generation here their parents feel the exact same way and that's the opportunity that america brings with it but then you kind of as the film goes along you realize just how awful america is <laughs> like how just detestable it is to a certain extent the corruption the 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 fact that there's no real way of making it on your own through legal manners that you have to that you have to make deals with a a fam like a, a crime family or with politicians or there's so much to this movie in just that one paragraph right yeah he he, he later on he meant the undertaker he he says to devito i went to the police and feels like why'd you go to the police like <laughs> is that what you're supposed to do no no when someone attacks your family exactly and they did nothing you know michael the police were supposed to protect Vito because yes he's part of a crime family but he is someone in the hospital and they went and assaulted michael they hit him they mccluskey hits michael punches him really hard and they were there to make sure that the assassination went through. McCluskey's the one that's working with Salazzo. Yeah. So there's that angle to it. I think there's a this establishes also like a patriarchal like like the pa- the patriarchal standing that a lot of these families believe in, right? Because yeah, a lot of these people believe in the Sicilian culture, the Italian culture, and they believe in the patriarchy, like you know, like a man's role. Right. Mm -hmm. And that happens in Hispanic culture a lot as well. Like the man is is the protector. He's the provider, the protector. The woman is the care caretaker and caregiver. Right. Bearer of children. Yes. Uh, And this movie establishes that 100 percent because this man believes that Vito believes that most of the men believe that Um, even to different to varying degrees, even men who like are. Uh, are cheaters like Sonny Santino? He still believes yes. that as well. And He's got like what three kids, and you never see him have sex with his wife. No, and he has probably the most sex scenes in the movie. I oh think. yeah. <laughs> and then you have, and then you have kind of how he sees, how they see sex, right? Particularly like like from this paragraph, there is no difference between sex and rape. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he he says protected her honor, but like that's. 
that's not the the way he describes it makes me very uncomfortable. No, no, no. Oh, you know? dude. I mean, look at what he says at the end. She was the light of my life. Beautiful girl. Now will she, now she will never be beautiful again. And it's like I I get what he's saying, right? Like I get that you know she was assaulted and it's it fucked her up, but like just the, the that taking that line and putting it next to she protected her honor. It's just like it's like a weird pairing. So you get the idea yeah. that just women do. This is a very, very, very traditional world, which makes sense for the time being. It's the 40s, right? 40s America in, in an enti- Italian culture. I mean, most most cultures are not progressive. Let's put it that way. There's a I, I watched that. I watched that opening scene like 10 times just rewinding it because there's so much happening there. He's even questioning as to why he wept, as in like men cannot cry, you know. Yeah, which is something that Vito slaps the the singer for, like why are you crying like a woman? Yeah, and he he likes Johnny Fontaine. Johnny Fontaine, the singer, the singer. Johnny Fontaine is basically Frank Sinatra. Yeah, (laughs) this movie has a lot of people that are based on other people. Yeah, like the producer is has is I think based on like Louis B. Mayer. And uh, Jack Warner, I think, from Warner Brothers. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, one of the mobsters is based off another mobster, a real life one. So this has a lot of that those illusions. And Johnny Fontaine is like a fa- Frank Sinatra as character. And also, Luco Brasi was an enforcer for the mob. <laughs> yeah, and John and Johnny's like upset. He's getting screwed over because some some like the producer is being racist. Like. The producer's like, I don't, he, he calls Johnny Fontaine that. He's like, I don't want this, this guinea here. Even though he, even, and even, even the producer admits Johnny Fontaine would be perfect for this role. And Johnny's upset and he's crying and Vito like slaps him around. It's like, why are you crying? Be a man. Yeah. And so this beginning really establishes like the setting and the vibe. And all this is happening in the background as the wedding's happening, which is like, I've never been to an Italian wedding, but this this party is banging. Like it's fucking oh, awesome. Yeah. And the way that 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 meeting room is lit is so dark. Yeah. But it's not like dark like they don't know how to light the movie. No, it's dark like it's man, what is happening in this room? This is not a room where good things happen. Well, and you Meanwhile, you have like this wonderful wedding with everyone dancing outside. Well, you juxtapose the two right yeah. the dark the darkness from the office and putting it up against the light and how cheery and happy everyone is that's the world that these mobsters live in family is the most important thing but you are not scared of killing the motherfucker if it has to come to that well Vito doesn't agree to kill the the men that assaulted his the the undertaker's no, but daughter he, he's fine with murdering he just doesn't he he's fine he'll do it if he has to and he does say that you're right he's fine with murdering though do you know what I mean? If it if push comes to shove, he will do what it needs to. He will do what he needs to do. The reason he doesn't kill the men is because number one, he feels like uh, Bonazera was disrespectful in how he approached them, so he's not really doing it as a friend. And he also doesn't believe that what happened to the woman in, entails the pun bring should bring the punishment of death because she's still alive. It's not really justice justice that he wants. Uh-huh. Um, that's why he doesn't. He decides to not kill the men. And he doesn't really kill anyone, but at the very end with the five families, even he's like, this has to happen. We have to get well, everyone. I, I think there's a difference between the Don that Vito is and the Don that Michael becomes. 
Mm. There's a huge difference. I don't think anybody is killed under Don Vito's watch, except for the horse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will agree with you there because Michael is definitely a lot more of a vengeful Don, even though he makes it seem like it's business. Like that's that's something that yes. they, that's one of the quotes from this. It's not personal. It's just business. But I mean, he very he changes a lot. Sicily changes him a lot because he marries this woman and they murder her in a horrific manner, too. And yeah, she gets turned into a leg, basically. And he comes back vengeful and he is ready. And I don't get the impression that he loves Kay, but he needs Kay. Because no, he, he needs, needs Kay to have kids. Yes. To, to continue this this uh, crime family mm-hmm. going because Sonny's dead. Tom Hagen's isn't really considered part of the cult. He's not Sicilian, right? He's German Irish, but they took him in as a favor. Fredo is Fredo. So Fredo, you know how Fredo is. We on. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk. It's funny. There's that. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno song from Encanto. We uh-huh. don't talk about Fredo. <laughs> But uh, so it's really up to Michael. And he it just seems that he's with Kay because he needs a son. Yet Vito rules very differently. Very old fashioned. Uh, Yeah. He I mean, this man is like old school. Like this is how you talk to a person with with respect. This is how you treat people. This is how. And but but family is very important to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) it's funny because there's even that scene where Sonny is like sleeping with one of the guests at the party. Yeah. And he, as he enters, as Sonny finishes and he goes into the room where the meeting's happening, Vito looks at him and he goes to the other guy and he's like, how uh, family is one of the most important things. Like it's important that you see a fa- you see your family because if you don't see your family, you're not really a man as Sonny's in the background. Yeah. After he was being, <laughs> um, after he was being adulterous, that, that first opening is a, is the perfect way of characterize, characterizing everyone. Like, like you understand everyone and everyone's role after after that thirty the first thirty minutes of the film, like you mm-hmm. get every like you get what the movie's talking about. It's about the American dream and and the the pursuit of it. You get what's important to these men, their family. You get how they go about it, right, and how they feel and how they think. Sonny's the brash guy. He's always going to resort to violence. Tom is a lot more laid back, but he a lot more pragmatic but nonviolent. And then you have Michael who kind of looks down on his family um, for being a part of this. Who's a war hero too. I'm not sure if he looks down on his family, but he's, he stays separate from them. He, he you talks know? about them in kind of like, that's them. That's not me. You know, yeah, he, he's very, he doesn't um, like in the beginning, he doesn't hide what his family does from Kay. Mm-hmm. Kay sees Luke Obrazi, who's played by Lenny Montana, who used to be an enforcer for the Colombo crime family. Mm-hmm. And also used to be a wrestler. Oh, uh, I could see it. He's, he's huge. <laughs> yeah. He's like rehearsing this speech, which is just like saying, thank you for inviting me to your daughter's wedding. I hope that her first child is a masculine child. And he's like rehearsing it. Mm-hmm. And Kay's like, what is that that guy doing? Like, what? he's scary. What's his deal? And then the Frank Sinatra character comes in and she's like, oh, what's what? You know, what's Johnny the guy's Fontaine? name? Johnny Fontaine. And so Michael tells her a story of how they got to know Michael Fontaine. Michael Fontaine was in a bad contract. 
and they got him out of it. Uh, his dad made it made the um the the band agent leader. an offer he couldn't refuse. What was the offer? Had Luca Brasi put a gun to his head and said, "Either your signature goes on this document, or your brains." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shit. I mean, enough said. You know, v- Vito's not a guy you fuck around with. Uh, he protects his own. If 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 he respects you, and if you respect him, he will go to bat with you. And um, and he see he's Vito is also pragmatic. Like he, I could see him being, you know, dangerous. But I mean, with the producer, with the Hollywood producer, he go he sends Tom Higgins, and Tom Higgins like we will owe you a favor if you make this happen. They don't go up to the producer who's named uh, Jack Waltz. If you make a, if you do us this favor, we'll owe you something. Yeah, it's something for something. You know, he believes in in friendship and handshake deals and stuff. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because Jack Waltz is like a modern day. Like he's like or back then he was um, in the four. This movie was made in the 70s and in the 40s. And he's like a Hollywood producer. He's like the new type of rich guy. Right. Asshole, like just capitalistic, like just up his own ass, has an ego as tall as a fucking building or whatever and he's a piece of shit this dude has no respect he is the intent no, he, he 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 calls he calls uh t- what's uh the consigliere tom hagen a guinea wop mm-hmm. and he's like i'm not italian and he's like oh let me use the, the proper slurs then kraut kraut mick i think because yeah. he's irish he's german irish, irish, german. irish yeah. it's like he's just He's just the worst person. He's the worst person. And I feel like because how ho- how Francis Ford Coppola feels about Hollywood, that would I feel like he was definitely like hey, Yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything that movie directors love more than making movie producers villains. <laughs> yes. Um I, and Francis had such a hard time making this film, which we'll get onto later, but he had such a hard time with the producers in this and Hollywood's notorious for having a lot of people with huge egos just oh yeah running these studios so it seemed like this was very pointed and that's why it's so funny because it was borderline reminding me of tropic thunder what one of my favorite Mm -hmm. quotes which is going to be one of my quotes at the end of the film at at this episode is um when tom hagan sees uh jack jack's talking about this young woman that he was like kind of that was that he was like grooming to be the next big hollywood star right grooming interesting word there well, I mean, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, she was. She seemed to be way younger than him. Oh, let's yeah. Just put it that way. Wait, and that's that's where the grooming comes in. Like he was kind of, you know, uh, he wanted to make her a big star, but it was also a sexual relationship. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it. Fuck, I I forgot about this quote, but he he basically Tom, tells Tom Hagen's that he doesn't want Johnny Fontaine for the film because Johnny Fontaine found this girl and slept with she him. ran off with him she ran off with him and he's like jack waltz describes her as she was beautiful she was young she was innocent she was the finest piece of ass i've ever had and i've had them all over the world Jesus. it was and that line alone had me dying of laughter and at that moment i was like this dude's about to fuck you up and you have it coming and here's the thing is that really like outside of the realm of possibility that think that a big giant hollywood producer would say something like that no 
absolutely not. So when they, so when you get the reveal of the horse and he screams like a little bitch, I was, I was just over the moon. I was like, I'm going to, I'm in, like, this is going to be fun to watch again. Mm-hmm. I granted, I feel bad for the horse. <laughs> I really, I do feel bad for the horse, but yeah, that, I mean, that scene alone establishes what they're willing to do, how far they will take things. Cause again, they're not murderers at this moment, but they will, mm-hmm. they will get what they want. If that means either putting Luca Brasi on you or putting your horse's head on you, like next to you, they will do whatever it takes because they have the muscle and the power. And this opening really establishes the Corleone family as being the biggest family, the most well-connected, the strongest, which is constantly challenged throughout this film, especially after Vito gets gets shot, right? When Salazzo comes into the picture. The characterization goes even further because then you have Salazzo who comes into the film and he... He, you know, he's saying that he wants to introduce narcotics. Vito doesn't want to. And he explains why. Because they deal in gambling and other, uh, uh, these other vices and, and alcohol. And he's like, look, I'm not a man to, uh, to, to tell someone what to do. Gambling and uh, gambling and alcohol are vices that don't inherently have to ruin someone's life. But drugs okay. is a whole other thing. <laughs> huh? Okay. Well, which, yeah, I mean, it's still not great. That's how he justifies it. <laughs> but narcotics is clearly like too too far. Right? It's too far. And he's polite about it. Like he yeah, is he... super cool and polite about it. He says, Hey, I wish you luck in your venture. Your business is not gonna interfere with mine, so I'm gonna let you do whatever you want to do, but I'm not gonna put any money down. Exactly. That's basically what he says. Yeah, and that's and that's a great point because the Corleone family has a lot of money. Cause Corle- Vito asks him, Why us? Why me? And he's like, just for the money. And he's like, if you think a few million dollars is just fine, it's just a small amount to finance with. That's exactly why I'm coming to you, because you're loaded, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonny makes the mistake of this is where Sonny really fucks up because he shows interest in Salazzo's deal. And that's when Salazzo says, well, he he, him and Tom Hagen were interested in the taking the deal in private. Salazzo sees this and he's like, okay, clearly Vito and Sonny are on separate pages. And that's when Salazzo decides to kill Vito. And he kidnaps Tom. And Vito's assassination is kind of wild. Yeah, it's like, you know, something's wrong because Vito is going to like to go to the grocery store or something. Pick up. He's going to the market. There's no grocery store. He goes to the market. And he's like, oh, where's Polly? And Fredo's like, oh, Polly's out sick, but it's okay. I'll drive. And it's like, uh, when someone's out sick and you're a crime boss, there's some, there's just a little something suspicious about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it keeps cutting back and forth between this and what's happening with Luca Brasi, which I will say this movie is very violent. That was a lot of the violence kind of happens off screen, right? What? I don't. Not, there's a lot I, of violence in the movie, but there's a lot of violence that you do not see. Well, there's a lot of events that you don't see happen in the movie that they talk about. But like, for example, like the wartime when it's I, all told through montage with like headlines and stuff. Yeah, you don't and, like, see any images. of the actual war scenes like where they're where they're fighting for territory and stuff. But the violence in this movie is pretty awful. Like it's bad. You, you know, like it's very personal and it's almost um, sadistic, right? Because, for example, 
v- after the meeting with Salazzo, Vito goes up to Luca Brazzi. He's like, hey, go to the Tatali family and tell them that you're not really happy with us and figure out what they're doing. So Luca Brazzi goes to meet uh, Bruno Tatalia. And he goes up as they, you know, as Bruno and Luca and Salazzo kind of share a whiskey or a, they, they share a drink. L- Bruno takes out a knife, stabs Luca's hand into the into the bar right and someone mm. behind luca just starts choking him with like this wire and luca's eyes like widen up and he starts turning oh, yeah. red and he like, stares into the camera and bruno like is holding the knife down so the knife is still penetrating through his hand into the bar and like into the actual like you know the table where bartenders yeah do their thing the bar the bar and it was just like holy shit like what the fuck it feel it feels very personal you know i almost yeah whatever business yeah well shit it doesn't feel like <laughs> it you know um the other scene is where they shoot Vito, and it's like those guys shoot him like five times you know i don't yeah, know how and the you, fuck see, you... you see fredo like drop his gun <laughs> what an idiot and 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 right when they shoot Vito. Fredo drops his gun. He picks it up. He runs over to his dad to check on him. Austin, let me ask you a question, right? Mm-hmm. You and I are out in the street and you see some guys come up and shoot me, you know, and I fall. You dropped your gun. Mm-hmm. You run over to me. What's the next logical step to do? Well, we have cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really fair to, to compare what I would do with what Fredo would do, you know? <laughs> fair enough. I'd like to think that you at least would go check on me. Help! Help! Call the police! Of course. I need a doctor! I need a paramedic! Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> Something! Except like Fredo's bitch ass just cries! And he starts yelling at his dad. Papa! Bitch ass! You expect your dad to get shot in the street. Come not when you're, you, well, Not when your dad is a crime boss. <laughs> Fredo's useless. Fredo is useless. But you know, Fredo, you know. I'm saying that because the line in the movie. Don Vito literally says, Fredo is you know. You know. <laughs> he says it twice. I knew that Santana was gonna have to go through all this. And Fredo. Oh. Fredo was oh. And I never I never wanted this for you. Uh, and, um, and you know it was it's funny um so fredo's an idiot uh but the violence is extreme like the violence yes. overall is, in, is in these in these cases yeah it's very like personal but there's other cases like polly the guy who says he was sick you know he sonny calls him in he's like hey polly how are you feeling and he's like <clears throat> i'm doing all right just a little sick <clears throat> worst fake cough and then when polly leaves he's like i want that guy dead yeah so then the famous scene with the Leave the gun, take the cannoli. Mm-hmm. Clemenza, he takes Polly out, and they're going for a drive. They're joking around, talking. Hey, um, man, you shouldn't be saying that word, exterminate. <laughs> you shouldn't be saying, hey, were well, you going to exterminate me? Huh? <laughs> and they, they drive out, and Clemenza's like, I got to take a leak. And then he goes out and pees. And, but it's like a wide shot, right? Yeah. And then you see the silhouette of someone behind Polly with a gun shoot him. Mm-hmm. It's it's all done in the wide. So you don't actually see the head him getting shot in the head, you just kind of see the silhouettes of it happening. Yeah. The same and thing happens when um, Carlo, he gets garroted in, in the car as well. 
but it's done inside the car and his feet go up and kick the windshield so that it's cracked so you don't see him actually die you just know it's happening but the the difference is polly's is uh polly's death is almost played for comedy kind of that's why i think it think becomes they comedy because it, when he when clemenza comes back and he's like i'll leave the gun but take the cannoli because my wife was asking about it yeah well and and in the lead up you know he like leading up to it you know polly asked hey how about just how about you sit in the cro- the seat across from you you're blocking the rear view mirror you know, because he, he, it's already like setting up. Like Polly's kind of distrustful of these guys, and and then they're talking like tar- exterminate. Ah, don't say that around me. You gonna exterminate me? Uh, and he's like, and Clemens is like, pull over. I gotta take a leak. Like the scene is comical, um, or slightly com- more. You know. I don't think it's supposed to be comical. I not, think not com- it's supposed to be like, oh my god, these guys are ruthless. He he went to kill this guy and do chores at the same time. It's all the same to him. <laughs> You know, his I, I, wife asks him to pick up cannoli and he picks up cannoli because it's like a, a thing that he has to do. Don't forget the cannoli. It's like, oh, I got to take my dog out for a walk. Also, I got to kill this guy. I'm going to do both at the same time. Okay. You know, your interpretation is very true. I actually, you know what? I do get that when you phrase it and like that's that. What that's what I'm saying. Though. Like it, because we're so far removed from 1972 and when these lines were heard for the very first time, when we think of these lines, it's inherently funny. You know, like when Sonny gets killed, brutally killed, Ooh. and and Vito goes to to back to the the Undertaker to come back for that favor that he owes him. He he shows the the body to Bonan Bonazera Bonacera, Bonacera, and it's like I don't want his mother looking at him like this. Look how they massacred my boy. I was laughing at that because when I hear "Look how they massacred my boy," I think of all of the times that has been used as a meme. You know, I'm thinking of. When um, Paramount got Sonic cyberbullied, you know, how the old Sonic, the old live action Sonic used to look and then people were mad on Twitter. So then they like changed him up and people were tweeting that like, look how they massacred my boy <laughs> with the news, the old Sonic. Yeah. You know, it just it like takes you out of it for a little bit and it makes it funny. <laughs> OK, it's funny that you say that because I actually felt the opposite in that scene. I knew about those memes, and I've even used that GIF in responses. Same, but same. But in that moment, I was so caught up in what was happening. I was, I didn't laugh. I felt really bad, and that's also partly to just Marlon Brando acting his heart out. He's he's fantastic in this movie. He's incredible. I mean, we're gonna have to talk about him at some point, but he is incredible as Vito Corleone, like. There is so much to this character and so much behind what Marlon Brando's doing. Oh, yes. Like, he, he really set the bar. Like, I mean, I haven't seen every movie that came out at this time, and I haven't seen what some other actors have done. But, like, when you look at Marlon Brando and you look at kind of how he looks in this film, he really transformed himself. He became mm-hmm. Vito. And even he had to have, like, a prosthetic jaw. Or not a prosthetic, but he had to have, like, a mouthpiece in order to make the sound... I'm here making him offer he can refuse. That's, or, what the hell? That's not. I'm gonna make him in the. I, you know what the. You know what he fucking sounds like. I know what the voice is, boy. You did. I. Bro, I thought I was on Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bird. Um. But uh. You were doing Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bird. Um. No, but but Marlon Marlon Brando's great, and and just He's watching. So and I can't blame you for laughing at it because yes it is a scene that has been recontextualized 
through meme culture. But I was so caught up in it that, fuck, when I saw that, I was like, this man is just, just destroyed because they, they, they destroyed his son. They didn't assassinate mm-hmm. him. They destroyed him because it was like and family. Sick- very important for Vito. The most important thing. He, he thinks that you're not a man without family. Family is like the most important thing to him. And his son was just destroyed. And that was a violent scene too with, with Sonny. Where they're just oh, shooting yeah. at him constantly. And you have like the squibs going off. And Sonny, James Caan is like, just like, you know, come, you know, being hit by every bullet. And it is like the two guys in the front, like four guys inside the booth. There's like three guys on the other side of the booth, like to, to the booth next to them. So you have like nine people just shooting this guy. Yeah, they're like hazards to themselves as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super violent. And this movie is violent. Like the, the, the ending scene at the very end when they're killing all the five families. Super brutal. Like he shoots Mo, like they shoot Mo Green in the eye. Uh, they turn him into a cinema, cinema trope. Hmm? Uh, there's this term called like the, the Mo Green effect or something. The Mo Green death. Mo Green special, where a, a character shot through the, the, the glasses in the head. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, see, it's, I didn't know that like was... A, yeah, it's a thing. It's, it's like a reference. It Enemy of the Gates and and uh, a bunch of other things. Oh, it's they like mowed green webs. him. Oh, like in yeah. Saving Private Ryan with the sniper. Yeah. He, mowed, he got yeah. mowed green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and, and, that's, and that's a violent... I mean, look, again, we're, we're watching this movie in 2022. We've seen... Violence has been taken up a whole notch. Uh, since this mm. movie came out. This movie came out 50 years ago. In terms of violence, it's gotten a lot worse. Like Tarantino in 93 ripped the guy's ear off. Or, you know, sliced the guy's ear off. We have an entire movie that's dedicated to torturing people. Pe- uh, torturing entire people. genre of movies. Yeah, torture porn. Which, torture porn was like, I'm sure, a thing around here. But those were like small art house films. Like those weren't things that were publicly broadcasted by a major studio but this is a major studio <laughs> film that was seen by millions and millions of people this movie made a fuck ton of money it did i believe it was number two at the box office when we did the the yeah. breakdown yeah and uh it made a fuck ton of money so a lot of people saw this and a lot of people weren't used to i don't think they were used to seeing piece, acts of violence like this you know like that's where they, true where they that act- might hmm? that might be the reason why i i didn't think it wasn't as violent but now that you're saying all that like yeah maybe it's because i'm used to seeing so much violence i mean that this doesn't seem so bad i mean look and here's the thing you and i have grown with up with films that are way more violent now right like our ratings now are not the same as our ratings back then right correct and you and i grew up with video games and so Mm -hmm. i mean there are violent video games man i mean how many hours have you put into hunt i into siege both of us into GTA. But yeah, no. So you and I and most people nowadays are kind of used to like violence a lot more now, you know? Um, yeah. So but back then that wasn't the case. You know, I don't really. I mean, yeah, there were violent movies, but this was a huge deal. You know, this was Marlon Brando. Big fam, big, big studio film. So the violence is is pretty shocking. And I mean, even Carlo's death at the end. Yeah, you don't even see it. But the way he breaks the glass, the sound he's yeah, making. He, and you're just, seeing somebody just desperately trying to survive. Like you you feel that. So it feels 
you get the feeling like it. I'm not like watching that scene like eh, I could have been could have been worse. I'm I'm feeling it. You know, I feel the it, wire around my neck and it makes <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I, that was one thing revisiting this film. I was like, holy shit, there's a lot more violent than I realized. And it must have shocked people uh, at that time. And oh, yeah. I don't I don't know if people saw like when Michael goes to the bathroom to get the gun. I don't know if people have seen people get shot in the head like that at that close range before in a movie. And when he and shoots it, McCluskey, it's in the same shot where he pulls the trigger, the shots on McCluskey, and then you see the bullet hole pop out. So in that same shot, you're seeing Michael, you're seeing his head not penetrated by the bullet and then immediately penetrated by the bullet. And then the the, the, the squib goes off, the spurt of blood comes out. That's kind of shocking. goes all over, the, all over the table. He shoots him in the neck first, right? Yeah. And, and you and, can see oh my. him like clutch at his neck and everything. I mean, when he shoots the lotso, there's the splash of blood, the spray of blood behind his head. McCluskey gets it back because he gets in the neck and you hear him like, yeah, you know, trying to breathe, but uh, choking on his own blood. And then you get the shot of, of him getting shot in the head in that same in that same trick. And they they use like fishing wire to like pull a, sp- a, a, a small tap out of the actor's head to make it seem like a chunk of head is coming off. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but yeah, that's and that's a tr- tough act to do. And it's violent, dude. Um, oh, yeah. And also there's that build up to it, too. Like, you know, what's about to happen with the train because. Right? Because Michael said what his plan was, mm-hmm. and now it's time to actually execute it. And he's looking for the gun, and he can't find it at first. He's so like, "Oh, oh shit! Is the gun there?" Mm-hmm. You hear that noise outside; it's getting louder and louder and louder. Then he finds the gun, and then Clemenza said, "Hey, once you come out of the bathroom, start shooting." Mm-hmm. But he Comes doesn't. out of the bathroom, doesn't start shooting. So it's like, what's gonna happen? And the anticipation, the suspense, even builds up way before that. Yeah, in the it, car. He's talking in the car. He's they're like he gets I need checked to... by the cop, and then he sees he's going to New Jersey, and it's like, oh shit, the gun's not going to be in New Jersey. Yeah, what what am I do, gonna do? It's oh. it's a suspense. This is a suspenseful movie. Like it's a lot it's of a, talking. Yeah, ninety percent of it is talking, even more than that. But mm-hmm. damn, the suspense ramp ramps up, you know. And this movie hits hard even when it surprises you, because in that restaurant scene. They're building up to it because you know the plan. You, you're going to go yes. to this restaurant in Brooklyn or in the Bronx, whatever. You're going to go into the restroom. You're going to pull the gun from behind the, the toilet thing. You're going to go out and you're going to shoot. So you know the plan. He has to execute on all that. And that's not exactly what happens all the way through, right? Yeah. There's a there's a moment where uh, Salazzo talks to Michael in, I, is it Italian or Sicilian? Italian, I believe. It's Italian. And most of the movie translates the, the different language. But mm-hmm. this one, no translation. So if you're not Italian, you don't know what he's saying. You don't speak Italian, you don't know what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's it funny. all builds up that suspense. It's, you it's know a what's great, great? Great scene. 
Mm-hmm. What's so great about that is not having the subtitle works really well to the scene, even though you don't know what's happening. However, yes. that wasn't intentional. That wasn't intentional. No, Salazzo, <laughs> the actor, was speaking so fast in Italian that the subtitles would not have stayed on the screen long enough to be legible. They would have just zoomed by immediately. There's and people... so many happy accidents like that in this movie. That's one of the best happy accidents because it because up until that point, whenever they speak Italian, it's subtitled. But suddenly, mm-hmm. when shit, when you know shit's about to go down and they don't, it throws the entire scene off kilter. It throws you off kilter. Suddenly, you're thinking, why is this not happening? Why is this feels odd? Why aren't they translating it? Is what What's he saying? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you find out, oh, the guy just spoke too quickly. They couldn't put the subtitles up there long enough for people to read it. But it works so well. It works and actually, so, well. so I rented this movie through Amazon Prime. And when that scene comes up, you know, when you move your curse, your mouse cursor over the screen, it'll kind of bring you like the X-ray. Yeah. The actors who were involved, what their characters names were. And it'll give you fun little tidbits in that little X-ray. It actually shows you what he says, what what Salazzo is actually saying. I'm sorry. What happened to your father was business. I have much respect for your father. But your father, his thinking is old fashioned. Yeah. Like innocuous, like pretty straightforward not you know you know like what someone would say in that situation but if you don't know italian and you and you know what's about to go down in this scene it is super tense (laughs) and it works it works great i i that was a beautiful happy accident i i had never seen this movie before and for me that was one of like the high points of the movie like i was it was very suspenseful it was was great another scene that was really suspenseful because because you kind of got the hint of what was going to happen was when they go after Vito at the hospital yeah and um so i didn't go into detail in the summary but they move michael and the nurse move Vito to another room and someone goes to pay his respects like a like a like you know someone who knows Vito, a baker uh, the baker yeah goes to pay his respect he wants to go he's giving he wants to give Vito some flowers Michael's like, all right, he just called Sonny and told him that there's no one there protecting his his father. So him and this baker, the baker, a a fucking baker and Michael, who's not involved in the mafia, they go outside and they stand outside of the hospital and they look like bodyguards. Right. The baker has like this kind of hat that like this um, that covered his like, you know, gives him like that dark shadow over his eyes and stuff. They look super ominous. And this car passes by right in front of them. And you see the men like, in there. Hold, hold your hand in your pocket like you got a gun. <laughs> and this car passes by, and you know what they're there to do, and you know what you know what Michael and the Baker are doing. And holy shit, is that scene intense? And it's it's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. And that's what this movie does really well. It has the best of both worlds because it has slow, slow burn scenes that are super suspenseful, and it will have those scenes that just come out of nowhere. <sighs> It just, the violence comes super abruptly, super quick, and you weren't expecting it. Like, the scene with Sonny, you're not really, you're, there's no buildup to Sonny's death. He gets the there call. Is, there is a little bit of a buildup, I so, think. Somewhat, but you're not really. Because you, you, what happens before, like, you see um, Connie with her face messed up, and she tells, she tells Sonny, it, it wasn't his fault. I, I did something, and I deserve this beating. And then Sonny goes and beats up. Uh, Carlo in public Mm -hmm. so then you have another scene of Connie getting this time you actually see it 
Which um, which that came out of nowhere as well. There was no suspense that one, in that. Yeah, that one's like, why are we seeing this again? Like, it, and it's way more brutal this time. Like, yeah, because before you just saw the the bruises. Now you're actually seeing him hit her. And it it I, like that's that's another scene. Like, there's no blood in that, but it's super violent because Carlo is just manhandling her. He takes the knife out of her hand. He's throwing things at her, and it gets even worse when it ends because she goes she runs into the bathroom. He breaks down the door. And he has the belt and you the door closes, you know, and you just hear him hitting her. And she's like, she's crying. And that scene comes out of nowhere. Like, yeah, Connie just answers the phone and finds out that the woman that Carlos cheating on her. That comes out of nowhere when Sonny goes. Because right after that, Connie calls Sonny, explain to him what happens. You imagine like Sonny is going to go and he, he immediately goes, going to find Carlo. But you're not expecting the ambush to happen at that moment. Something yeah. it's not until the moment it happens where the guy like closes the door or as a car as a car in front of them is speed is driving by. Uh, when when the when the, the ticket guy at the toll booth drops the coin, I'm like, he's gonna die now. He's going I know he's gonna and then he gets shot. Yeah, but like, there was no suspense times. to that. It wasn't like sure. you know like the, if you've seen a movie, like you know that you're not you're not seeing this scene gonna happen the same way twice yes you know like there's something different about this one so like for me there was the way he speeds off before any of his guards i'm like this guy's gonna get killed this guy's gonna get killed yeah well i think and that also just is more on you knowing kind of how these tropes work because you've had years and years i've watched sons of anarchy (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) um but from an audience perspective Back in the seventies, like I mean, you know, I mean, the audience's minds were just constantly being blown left and right in the seventies because you've got The Godfather, then you've got Star Wars, right? And mm-hmm. these are things that we've grown up or we've seen things that have been influenced by this in our childhood, so they don't really affect us the same way. But yeah, I mean, I think people watching this movie, are like, yeah, fucking go beat fucking Carlos' ass, and then you see that Sonny's the one that got. That got killed. You're like, oh, whoa, and it's super violent too. So you have the fact that this came out of nowhere. That you're angry about Carlo, and the fact that Sonny, a character that we do like, even though he is kind of an asshole, just got destroyed in front of us. Like it is a one, two, three, and yeah, it's an intense. That that whole scene is intense, and and this movie does that. It's violent. It's suspenseful, and some it'll pull the rug right out of you. At all times, even at the end with Carlo's death, you know, because you think <clears throat> Michael kind of. So Carlo worked for the Barzini family. That's the reveal at the end that he's worked for the Barzini family, that he's he was the one who set up the hit on Sonny. That's why he beat up Connie. You know, he was an informant. Uh, he beat up Connie regardless. <clears throat> I, I, well, I think he, he I mean, he he was a horrible husband. He didn't. It's not like he loved Connie, but he had to do it because Barzini told him to. No, he he did not like Connie. And his job was to get close to the Corleone family. So, you know, he got to beat Connie, which I'm sure he might have enjoyed to a certain extent. And then he made Barzini happy by finding a way to make Sonny vulnerable to an attack. Mm-hmm. So we find out that Bar- that. Carlos has been his name's Carlo, but I just say Carlos. Um, we find out that Carlos has been working for the Barzini family, and Michael wants him to admit it, right? And he's like, "Look, I'm not gonna kill you, all right? You're 
my sister's husband. I'm godfather to your kid. I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna make my wife a widow on the day. Make my of her... sister a wisdom. Make my sister a widow. Yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm not gonna make my sister a widow. I'm godfather to your kid, so you're fine. But you're out of the family business. So Carlos is like, all right. He gives him a ticket. He's like, here, take your ticket to Las Vegas and you're done. And as Carlos gets into the car, Clemenza's there like, or is it Clemenza? It is Clemenza. Yeah. It's Clemenza. And he's like, hey. just Hey, Carlo. <laughs> and that came out of nowhere, you know, because you think, oh, Michael, you know. Nah, when I saw Clemenza in the car, come on. No, no. Everybody but... that Clemenza gets in the car with dies. Well, <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah. But it's funny because well, you think that Michael in the in the room when they're talking, he's gonna let Carlos go, because everything he said is true. I'm Godfather, your kid. I'm not gonna make my sister a widow. You know, you're fine. And so they're like, oh, okay, makes sense. Fuck him, but you know, makes sense, I guess. And then it's out of nowhere that he kills Carlos, regardless. Super, nah, super sudden. It, I think the 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 way that Michael does business is so different from Vito, and I think that the film is very intentional intentional about that mm-hmm. like Vito is all about handshake deals and stuff michael his how does he solve all of his problems violence and he Extreme is a war violence hero. he he was in the war he was a war hero so he is not it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that he is a killer right mm-hmm. like you know it's it's what he it's what he knows but like it, it you know and in the end of the day it works i mean the Corleones are more powerful than ever. They've literally gotten rid of everyone else. They did it with minor casualties on his on their side. Like they succeeded. Violence did solve the problem. But but it, he kills the heads of the other families, right? Mm-hmm. They're, those families aren't done. Like they weren't done when they took out Vito. No, right. But... So it, it kind of it kind of feels like everything's gonna get worse in the next one. <laughs> You're absolutely right. There, there is a, there is an element to Vito is a dangerous man, but uh, Michael's more dangerous. Michael is is calculated ruthlessness. Yes, you know he. It's interesting how it starts with this guy, uh, the I keep forgetting his name, Bonacera. Mm-hmm. Bonacera coming in to the Don's office and asking for a favor, mm-hmm. and then he's like, "Oh, we're not going to kill those guys. We're just going to, you know." Rough them up like they did to your daughter. Don't don't get someone and, amateur on this because they'll get carried away. He says that. Yes, and so like you, when it's it's like setting up that you know things are going to change at the end mm-hmm. because at the end, Michael says I'm not going to make my my wife's my wife a widow, mm-hmm. but dude, oh my sister, a he's widow. just he just oh, that's right. You just, yeah, I fucked, I fucked <laughs> it up. I'm sorry, man. But I, I get you, your point. I'm like, not going to make my sister a widow. But like, um, you you just became godfather by assassinating everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like as you said, I renounce Satan. And well, all well, all remember, this. well, no. remember the baptism happens first, and then the assassinations. Okay. Yeah, but but but, but as I, as the way it's filmed, it's yeah, like so, this, sorry, so this that guy was a, is that was a nitpicky thing of me. Sorry, you're right, but you are right. Yes, like he knows what he's going to do. He is not renouncing yeah. Satan. No, he's not. Not really. <laughs> no. Hell no. So when he says, I'm not going to kill you, I'm like, yeah, yes, you are. You're not your dad. You're ruthless. That's actually really interesting because you were clued in on the fact that we literally just saw a montage of a bunch of gangsters being murdered and killed. 
and Michael saying that he renounces Satan, right? And I saw the exact same scene. So when he talks to Carlos and says, I'm not going to kill you, you didn't believe him, but I still believed him. I still, so that means I'm Kay. I'm basically Diane Keaton. You're Kay, yes. yes. When, when she said yes to marrying him, I was like, you're going to get blown up in a car, dude. What are you doing? Oh, man. Can't you see? This guy has changed. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Oh, he even just told first... you he's working for his dad. Yeah. Okay, Diane Keaton. And actually, well, now, now that we're on Diane Keaton, let's talk about something that you'd mentioned earlier how the women play, a, what their role is in this film, um, which is to say not much. Not much at all. Um, which, I mean, I am conflicted. I am conflicted about that because on one hand, I think there's not enough characterization for someone like Kay, right? And right. It's, and none of her choices make sense, I, I guess. Like she she loves Michael and that's why she takes him at the end, I, I guess. But, but he's been gone for two years i don't know i think that there's not um like if you portray a woman like this i i feel like you have to give us context for it you yeah. know what i mean or just even like another scene or something where you know he like, what's he gonna say to her where have you been for two years what does he say to her does he lie to her does he you know, um, yeah, I work for my father now. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. But what the fuck happened? Because the last time I saw you, you were in your goddamn army suit saying how you didn't you weren't like your family. And now you're working for your dad. What the fuck happened? You were gone for two years. None of this makes any sense. Nobody told me where you were. Nobody knew where you were. I tried reaching out to Tom. Nothing happened. What the fuck? There's no scene where that's explained to her. It's just, hey, you know. I liked you once. I could like you again, I guess, Michael. Um, you know, there wasn't enough to her and there wasn't enough for um, Mrs. Corleone, which is Vito's wife. Actually, I, it's funny that I remember the first time watching this film, I realized, oh, I forgot that Vito was married, that his wife was still alive. I forgot that Michael's mama was still alive because she's so absent in the film. She's sprinkled very throughout. Uh, apparently, she's more present in the film than she was in the book. <laughs> oh okay which well, is saying something right yeah but i just i figured you know like as someone you know like kind of in that position like you think that there be maybe a little bit more to her now i i do believe that's a slight criticism towards the film but also i feel like that is kind of how this was run you know i i, I don't again i'm not a historian i don't know much about gangster life you know uh, mm-hmm. especially in the Ita- Italian mob. So I don't I don't know anything about this, but I mean, it seemed from the little I know, it definitely seemed like it was a man's world. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't yeah. seem like like, like you li- don't see any any uh, female lieutenants in the Corleone family. You didn't see female lieutenants, you didn't see female dons, you didn't see female muscle, you didn't I think nothing- don itself is is a masculine word, right? Uh, I, in I, Italian? I guess. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Don? The Don, the man, you know, even like a concierge, you know, like a woman could be a lawyer. I mean, or I, but at this time, at this time period in the 40s, I don't know, like women are lawyers now, but in the 40s, I don't know. That's yeah, it, it is depicting that that reality for it. But um, as I as I said before, I've watched Sons of Anarchy and the third episode of the series was when I was like, OK, there's something more to this show. It's not just glorifying the life of these like gangster bikers the third episode it shows you from the perspective of a a woman involved in this organization 
like what their role is, what's expected of them. And, you know, you have one character who's like, oh, my God, this biker guy is so hot. And he's like, he's like punched out my abusive boyfriend. Like, I'm going to ride with him. And then she meets up with this other character who's been in that world. And she kind of tells her what's what. And then the first girl's like, okay, I'm not into this. I'm going, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's, that's, you don't really see the female perspective in this movie. Like no. if you want to, if women fulfill this, you know, the role of like caregiver and mother and are only to be spoken or only are allowed to speak when spoken to at, at least kind of address that and maybe show their perspective a little bit more. So we as the audience understand that they are characters. They have wants and desires and flaws and all that. And they're not just kind of like set dressing. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. That's where I'm kind of feel half and half because on one half it does feel this movie feels real. Like obviously mm-hmm. it's a Hollywood film. A bunch of shit has been made up. It's based on a book that I'm assuming was fictional. That was slightly based on some real shit, but it's fake on fake yeah. on fake. I, I understand that. I get that. But it feels real. It feels authentic. Yes. I, there was even a quote that I think one of the producers or one of the studio execs were like, we hired Francis Ford Coppola because we wanted to smell the spaghetti off the screen, um, which is kind of a fucked up way Jesus. of saying, yeah, which is a fucked up way of saying we wanted this movie to be authentic, to feel authentic, which it does, you know? Oh, yeah. It does all the way through. So I, I, I understand that exclusion, but I also feel like I wanted more just because the writing for everyone was on par. My, yes. my, my other thing about so it's, it's but that kind of goes into my other point was I feel like this movie could have been longer because something that I noticed is that there is so much happening in all these scenes that we're still not seeing. Like we're this could have easily been a TV show. Like of ten episodes, one hour. I believe each. it was called The Sopranos, <laughs> and that went for six seasons. Each was an hour long. Like, no, yeah, like it makes total sense, and I could totally see that for The Godfather. Like having six seasons of basically Michael Corleone through the entire. Like it's yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like from the very beginning, you get the introduction of Johnny Fontaine and kind of how he's involved with the family. You have Vito's stories. You have Tom Hagen's kind of being brought in. You have Sonny and his infidelity. You have Michael being a war hero. You have the FBI wanting to investigate them. You have, um, you have Carlos entering the family as, as he's marrying Connie. Like there's one shot in the film that was really interesting to me because having seen it before, you already know that Carlos is, you know that Carlos is working for Barzini and you know that he's only marrying Connie because he was told to. That was his goal. There's the shot where Johnny Fontaine is singing to Connie. Did you remember that scene? Yes. Where he's singing to her and she's almost like in, very emotional to him singing to her. Yeah, because Car- it seems like Johnny Fontaine is is the Frank Sinatra of this world and all the women are like screaming like they're seeing Elvis. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So there's a lot happening there, but she almost feels she's almost acting like she's known Johnny her whole life, which makes sense because because Vito is his godfather. So Mm -hmm. I can imagine a scenario that her and Connie, uh, uh, Johnny and Connie probably have an extended relationship, right? Not maybe that they were dating, but they've known each other for a while. Heck, yes, he came over to her wedding. Probably at the request of Vito, 
But I mean, probably to ask a favor of Vito because well, he according does ask, to their traditions, there's the whole you can ask the the father, the Sicilian of man, the bride, yeah, he's anything on the day of his daughter's wedding, yeah. Um, but I feel like there's more happening there, and it's very interesting because right after that, Vito goes up to Vito goes up to Johnny, Johnny. You know, it's a wide shot and Johnny and, you know, the Don are kind of like hugging. They're talking to each other. You can't really hear what they're saying. It's a wide shot. And in the background, you see Connie stand up from the chair and go up to Carlos. Carlos walks up to her as well. And there's like a very subtle thing where um, she goes in for a kiss. She kisses him once. He turns his head kind of like he turns his head and it's like she was going to go for another kiss. But he like kind of put not pushed her away, but he kind of like brushed brushed off her advance. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like she wanted she wanted to be a bit more affectionate with him on the day of their wedding, and he and he didn't want to. Now mm-hmm. you could see that and say, well, he just didn't see that she wanted to kiss him. I read that as he doesn't love her, and <laughs> you know this is just all to placate Barzini. You know this is part of the plan. Very 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 tiny little subtle thing, right? And there's there's also that moment when she's in the the kitchen, and then she's she's trying to talk to him, and he's like, "Shut up, Connie." Yeah, and I'm like, "Jesus, who the fuck's that?" In guy? front of in front of her brothers. Mm-hmm. There's there's like and all it, the- it happens again too when they're eating. He's like, "Shut shut up, Connie." Yeah, and then uh, Sonny's like, "Hey, don't you talk to my sister that way?" Yeah, and what does what does Mrs. Corleone say? Making big money. Well, Papa never talked business at the table in front of kids. Hey, shut up, Connie. Hey, don't don't you ever tell her to shut up. You got that? Don't interfere. You know, Sonny, Tom, I'd like to talk to you maybe after dinner. I could be doing a lot more for the family. We don't discuss business at the table. Stay out of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Uh, like, your daughter's getting, like, berated by her her husband, and you're, you're telling your son to stay out of it? There's all these different layers oh of story happening between all these different characters, right? Don, Johnny, uh, the Don and all the people asking for favors, Connie and Carlos, Clemenza. It, it's all happening in the background. And I could see a scenario where it's like you get into all of these characters. So going back to my original statement, you, you could have seen a bit more from of the female characters from the film. At least, at least to acknowledge them as characters. Yeah, you know? to, igno- it, to acknowledge it, them, and that kind of goes to my bigger thing. Right? I wanted more of this movie because I, I mean, there are large chunk of times that are not accounted for. When Michael's at Sicily, he really connects with his family heritage there. I mean, he gets married to a Sicilian woman. The the war, like what actually goes yeah, down. Yeah, I I feel like the all the events in Sicily are kind of removed from everything else going on yeah. in the movie. Well, That's it, the part where I'm like, why is this in the movie? Well, it's, and I <laughs> thought that too, cause not that much happens, but it, you know, you do realize that he's no longer with Kay, uh, which you feel bad. Cause when, right after he marries Apollonia, you get the scene of Kay going to the house, speaking to Tom and you're just heartbroken for her. Uh, I was, I was like, damn man. Like, you fucked they up. You can't do Diane Keaton that way. No, I mean, you don't never do Diane Keaton that way. And but and Tom but, won't even take the letter. He's like, well, if I take this letter, it might look like I know where he is. But and I mean, but he's protecting Michael. He he's the yes. he's the counselor. He has to do that, and he likes Kate. But he that's what he has to do. And then you have um, 
in that Sicily, the, the way I view Sicily, it's his villain origin story, right? Because, yeah, sure. But like, how does anything there, it, it doesn't top what he did to get there in the first place. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Well, like, that's his villain, villain origin no, story. No, I, I disagree. Him killing Salazzo, so him killing Salazzo and McCluskey, it, to a certain extent, I feel is it is like business, right? Because Michael is more vengeful is than it, Vito. Do you do you think that was business? Do you honestly it, it think was, him killing them was business? Okay, killing Salazzo and McCluskey was the best the best of both worlds, <laughs> right? It was it was the Hannah Montana moment because <laughs> it was the best of both worlds because number one. He disliked McCluskey and Salazzo, and he didn't like what they stood for and what they did to his father. So he gets to enact revenge. However, it is beneficial to them as a family because Salazzo's not going to stop. McCluskey is part of the commission, like of the police uh, department. They are two figures that will stand in the way and will make their lives a lot more difficult. And Michael thought of a way to get rid of them that will be that will that will get the job done and will what not... happens as a result huh what happens well, as a result happens, of that but michael <laughs> michael wards but the war was always going to happen when they killed Vito. it wasn't until Vito is not killed and Vito mm. comes back and says i will stop everything in order to bring my son back war was inevitable right because you had other families who were interested in working with salazzo but they couldn't because of the colion family and how powerful they were this was the wombo. This was the wombo combo. I get mm-hmm. to enact revenge on Salazzo and McCluskey for hurting my father, but we also deal with them, so we're able to maintain our strength and position in the New York crime scene. So, so, so it was the best of both worlds. That wasn't his villain origin story. I don't think. I think the real thing that fucked him up was Apollonia's death, because not Sonny's death. I well, I think. So, and, and, and see that's the problem because when he gets the news of Sonny's death the guy that's hiding him says you have to move to this hiding spot right and we immediately dissolve into the new location and that we immediately come into the scene where she dies his wife dies so really there's no moment of reflection for Michael to, to, to think about how he feels about Sonny dying I'm sure he's sad but is he angered does he want vengeance um, does he does he just realize that Sonny was brash and he was always going to it was always going to happen for I, I don't know. We don't linger on that moment of Michael dealing with Sonny's death. Yeah, what's the next thing that happens after Apollonia dies? Vito goes to the five families. I mean, for for Michael. Oh, he's at Kay's place. I, I, yeah, he yeah, he goes visits, visits Kay at work and is like, I want you to be my wife. Yeah. The impression that I get is that he was really upset at Apollonia's death. And that was his moment where he was like, I'm going to kill everyone involved. This is not this, you know, what he says. It's not personal. It's business when before he killed McCluskey and Salonzo. But with Apollonia, he says that as well. But that's a lie. At that point, he is lying. He is saying like he very much is making it personal because the men killed his brother and they killed his wife. That was the origin. That was the villain origin moment in my point where it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm not going to stop until they're all gone. And he doesn't say that outright, but I I personally feel that uh, from 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 what we from the film. OK, well, uh, I feel like I got that earlier when he comes up with the plan to kill 
uh, Salazzo and huh? Salazzo and McCluskey. Yeah. Salazzo and McCluskey. Captain McCluskey. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, Because there's that he's sitting in the chair and there's that really slow like dolly track in on him as he's coming up with this plan. It's a long take. It's like yo, this is the next dawn right here. And Sonny's still breathing. (laughs) That is true. I mean, you could totally make the... That's definitely a turning point. That's where... For me, when he gets to to Sicily, it's just kind of like, all right, this is his like second chance to have a new life. And because of Mm. his wife getting killed, okay, no, this I have to go back and do what I was always meant to do. But I I just feel like those scenes aren't as I'm not into them as much as the rest of the movie. I feel like you could have totally skipped over all of that and just not had Michael in the movie for a minute until he comes back. Gotcha. And see, I and I think it was interesting because uh, Sicily was a second chance for him, right? To live a life, you know, um, not necessarily part of the mob, but as like a, yeah. But the, but the only but when he problem but, with that though is he's got two guys with shotguns with him at at all times. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. It, <laughs> It's not perfect, but I I definitely get the impression that there's a chance at a second life, one where he embraces his culture, where he marries uh, another woman. That's not Kay. Um, But when they murder her, that goes out the window. There is no turning back for him at that point. Um, And and that's why I particularly see it. But but that's what's so great about this film. It's not it's not laid out like everything for you to to know exactly when he becomes heisenberg or anything you know what i mean like it is it is a movie where you can nitpick and choose and kind of how do you read this and how do you you know and there's so many laps in time where you know you just kind of have to go with the flow and i think that's personally what's great and i would have liked more because i'm i love these characters and and uh good thing there's two other movies yes exactly (laughs) but uh Man, and we've spent an hour and a half talking about this already, or you know, um, mm-hmm. at least the raw audio. I might this might be lower than that, but I feel like we have we've only not even gotten into the real deep of it. Like we we haven't. There's so much more to talk about. Any any final things? Anything that you just feel like you need to mention, positive or negative? There, well, I mentioned happy accidents. Um, I think you mentioned something that, I, and I responded to it as a happy accident. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what it was? Oh, yeah. the the Italian not being translated, the Sicilian not being a translated. Mm-hmm. There's a few other moments in this movie that I know were not planned. Uh, for example, when uh, Luco Brazzi is practicing his speech for what he's going to say to the Don, which is like, hey, thanks for inviting me to your wedding. I hope your daughter has a boy. That was not in the script. What had happened was uh, Lenny Montana, not really a strong actor, so when he meets the Don and says his line, he kind of messes it up. He kind of says it weird. He even has to like correct himself in the middle of the scene. Mm-hmm. So then when they look at the dailies or whatever, they're like, okay, well, I can, I can make this work. Let's just have a scene introducing the character where he's rehearsing his speech. Oh, so then it- <laughs> my God. Don Carlo, I am honored and grateful that you have invited me to your home. On the wedding day of your daughter. And may that first child be a masculine child. Don. Michael. Don. 
That man over there is talking to himself. See that scary guy over there? He's a very scary guy. Well, who is he? What's his name? His name is Luca Brasi. He helps my father out sometimes. Oh, Michael, wait a minute. He's coming over here. Michael! Oh! Don Colleone, I am honored and grateful that you have invited me to your daughter's wedding. On the day of your daughter's wedding. And I hope that their first child be a masculine child. I pledge my ever-ending loyalty for your daughter's bridal purse. Thank you, Luca. My most valued friend. Don Colon, I'm going to leave you now because I know you are busy. Thank you. Are you serious? I'm serious. Well, according to James ha- James Kahn, uh, on an interview, or like they had him on like Sirius XM or something on a on a show, he's talking about Lenny Montana and how he was not a good actor. <laughs> Dude, you could have fooled me. It it totally works. Like even it totally Luca works. Bra- it, Luca, even his acting. Yeah, he's. I mean, he ain't no Marlon Brando, but I mean, he is doing a good job. Like you, you believe that guy? Yeah, I. He, this man, Luca Brasi, is not in. He's not a well-spoken person. He is not. He is the muscle, and he sells that. And the fact that they included that scene of him rehearsing it sells that because he. It seems like he is nervous. He wants to be respectful because Bonazzaro does not show any respect, and I think Luca Brasi realizes well, he, he shows respect. But he doesn't. It's a different kind of kind of respect. Well, it, I mean, he he Bonacera wants something yes, from. He but, wants that gangster to to come out and do his dirty work yeah, for and, him. And that's and yeah, again, like that's not that's not the type of respect that Vito wants. Exactly. And Luca's aware of that because you know, yes, he's like, hey, thank you for inviting me to my daughter's wedding. Like, God damn that. Oh, beautiful accident. And that was a really smart move to include that scene of him rehearsing the scene. Yes. And it works really well as introducing mm-hmm. Kay as well. It's like, what? what's wrong with that guy? That's yeah. what we're thinking. Yeah, what's wrong with that guy? And then you realize. And, it, and then you get the story with, with him putting a gun to the to the producer's head saying, hey, get this, get Frank Sinatra out of this contract. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it just, it all works together so well. Yeah. Uh, another happy accident. Also, at the very beginning of the movie, is the cat with uh, oh, Marlon yes. Brando. That cat that he's petting and stuff, not in the script. It just showed up on set one day, and then Francis Ford Coppola gives it to him. It's like, all right, you have a cat now. <laughs> you know what's funny? The cat was purring so loudly that the mic could pick it up, and Marlon Brando had to re-record his lines in the, in ADR. An additional dialogue recording. Oh my god, that's that's how Hobbs is. You're gonna, I bet Hobbs is gonna show up on this episode. He's at some the, point. The cat was purring so loud that they had to. All right, fuck, just bring him in again. We'll pay him however much he needs <laughs> just to record his fucking lines, because this is the important, one of the most important scenes in the movies. You're literally learning all about everything you need to to understand the rest of the film here, right now, and this fucking cat. But <laughs> the cat was really adorable. And so it adorable. Ad- and it adds to it, honestly. Because um, like he's he's a he's a dangerous man, but he's also very sensitive. Oh yeah, and 
you get all of that. And man, I, we, we hardly, I mean, we spoke so much about the story, but the acting is so good. Like, even Luca Brasi, who apparently is not a great actor, comes across like, as a good actor. The thing like, is, he actually was an enforcer for the yeah, <laughs> Colombo he looks family. Like, it, but, like, he's probably done some things, you oh, know? He has stories about how he, he like, taped uh, a tampon to a, ca- a rat's tail and lit it with, with the kerosene and had the cat or the, the rat or mouse run around the building to, to burn it down. Or like a, he put a candle on a cuckoo clock and burned buildings that way. He was he's a convicted arsonist. You know he's maybe hurt some people. <laughs> <laughs> Carlo, uh, that actor Gianni Russo, also connected to the, I believe, not the Colombo, maybe the Colombos, but the uh, I want to say Gallo. Mm-hmm. No, Frank Costello. He's an errand boy for the. He was an errand boy for the Costello family. Uh, Clemenza was related Clemenza? to he. Someone in his family was was part of the mob as well. I think his uncle or something like that. I think his Clemenza's uncle was part of the mob. Uh, I think he visited set and spoke to his nephew, and it wasn't until wow. later when Clemenza admitted it. Like, yeah, he's he's my uncle. Because they, they thought that the, this this mobster was, you know, just visiting the set. Turns out he's Clemenza's uncle. It's, oh Nephew my. of Gambino. There you go. Okay. That's wild, yeah. dude. It's just, it's, this fucking it, movie, dude. It's, it's just, like the, the acting is, is really good from the, like, you know, um, Robert, your Marlon Brando, your Al Robert Duvall's, Robert Duvall's, James Caan. James Caan. But then you have, like, actual people who have kind of lived the life and they're just, you know, Doing what comes natural to them, I guess. And then you have actors who are acting it up a bit, but they they fit in. Uh, like Jack Waltz, yeah. who's the producer. You have Mo Green, who's the the like seedy Vegas casino owner. Um, who's also the getaway driver for an assassin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, At least it, he went to jail for it. <laughs> yeah, there's so there's so, but everyone's acting their heart out. But I think ultimately yeah. the best performance is Marlon Brando. I think this. Uh, you know, I you watch Marlon Brando like in Apocalypse Now, and you like him, uh, but there's just something about how he plays Vito. He be, mm-hmm. he's Vito. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a lot of actors nowadays will try to go method and like for example, I'm not I'm not talking shit about anyone of these actors, but like you'll have like uh, Joaquin Phoenix who will do like a very or Christian Bale as well who will do a drastic physical transformation to fit a character, right? And then you'll have like Nicole Kidman, who will play someone like really grungy and really homeless looking and destroyer. A lot of actors will do a lot of stuff. But in the end of the day, like you could still see the actor. And maybe that's just the knowledge that we carry as they are the biggest stars for our generation. Maybe I don't have that same attachment with Marlon Brando. But when I'm watching this movie, I really don't see Marlon Brando. I see Vito Corleone, uh, which is like a cliche thing to say. I understand. But that's how I felt. He sells oh, his yeah. goddamn scenes. And like he had to put on this thing in his mouth to kind of give him that accent or to give him that sound. Mm-hmm. And it works like his hairstyle, the way he talks, his cadence. Yeah, I I like I know what what um, Marlon Brando looks like. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't see that guy in this movie. Yeah. You know I mean? you, and you know who who who's pretty close to that to to that with uh, who else i think of 
when you when you said that, Heath Ledger. Yeah. And now, okay, now granted, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight has a lot of makeup on, so you really can't see his face. But like, if you put Heath Ledger and the Joker right next to each other, side by side, for me, it it's like a very distri- distinct, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I can't like, see. I him. can't even picture him rehearsing those lines yeah you know rehearsing that performance without makeup or anything i can't see heath ledger in joker now again that might have something to do with the makeup effect totally valid but he's so wild in that film you're also it's like whoa what is this the same could be said with this with marlon brando and Beto. like yeah you put marlon brando and Beto corleone together and i really can't see it all that well you know like the it, it uh, is like he transformed into another person yeah I think a, a more recent example would be the stuff that, um, what's his face from Breaking Bad? Brian Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad versus yeah. Brian Cranston from Malcolm, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. It is a transformation. Uh, not just not just the physical transformation, right? Because Heath had the makeup. You know, Marlon Brando had like the mouth thing and the and the hair. pulled back and obviously um brian cranston with the the shaving his head but it it goes further than that and it's like one of those roles where it's like fuck you really transformed you really changed and i think that's something that actors want to do but we we have these expectations of what this actor can do what they should do and if they you see them doing something else it's like oh why is why is robert pattinson playing batman Shut the fuck up. I think, let him act, god damn it. Yeah, I think everyone low-key wants to to chase that Marlon Brando Vito kind of role. <laughs> yeah. Where they just completely transform in whatever re- in whatever way they can, whether it's gaining weight, putting on prosthetics, just your the makeup and hair design, whatever. It, it, they want that Heath Ledger thing, right? Like someone where you could you can't even see Heath in, in that. Or 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 Mount Marlon as as Vito, right? And actors get close. They get really close. And I'm not saying that it's not that they do a bad job, you know, like Joaquin won an Oscar for Joker. And I'm not crazy about the movie, but I think it was well worth it. Like, I think it was a, a good victory. But, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent, I could still see Joaquin in it. And, and that's not a complaint to him. That's not it's not. I think he does a phenomenal job. But, you know, it's the difference between an A and an A plus, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's also like a lack of opportunity for some actors to to do different roles because you expect you see this name you associate with this so why would somebody go see this violent crime movie when this guy's known for being a heartthrob? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I, there was resistance to Marlon Brando playing Vito because. Mm-hmm. This isn't who Marlon Brando is. Yeah. Well, it, but like, look what happens when you give give him the ball. Well, you know, it, people get typecasted. Like that is a real thing, and it happens. And some people stay in that little section because it, it works for them. And some people, you'll have moments where they'll get cast against against type, and it works out really well. I mean, Heath Ledger was one of them. Robert Pattinson was the other one. Uh, I saw Batman. I really liked him in it. And people were like, "Well, he's not." And Robert Pattinson isn't like a typecasted actor because he if you know what movies he's been in he's been in a lot of stuff a lot of independent films uh and a lot of in some big blockbuster films but like people still see him as the vampire from twilight obviously right but 
because mm-hmm. they didn't director Matt Reeves didn't just see him as that. He saw the possibilities. We got a great Batman. Same with Heat. Same with a lot of casting decisions where they've taken an actor and given them the ability to play with that role. But it's not something that happens all the time. It it comes very rarely. Very rarely. I mean, man, in hindsight, I guarantee you so many people would have wanted to play the role of Heisenberg. You know? Oh, yeah. But there's only one Heisenberg. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I um, I think Vito is like... I think he is the face of the Godfather franchise, right? I think he's the face of just, like, the mob life of, like, an old way of living that is long gone. Like, he is, he's not just the face of a franchise. He is the face of, like, a time period, both fictionally and in in actual Hollywood history. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. the man transformed, and he represents so much, and just Vito is a great character that's acted to perfection by Marlon Brando. And like, I know people are like, you're like, you're slobbing on his knob, but I'm like, dude, he, he, he does a good job. Like, I don't know how to say it any other way. He's phenomenal. Um, and revisiting this film, I'm like, yeah, no, this dude totally earned that Oscar and he definitely killed it. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this movie would go on to, it has a great cast. Uh, all around, but there's something about Marlowe, man. That's just, you know, it's that A compared to that A plus, you know, the once in a lifetime. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, this was so tough that even Mar- even Marlowe couldn't top top it because you know Apocalypse Now as Colonel Kurtz. Yeah, Colonel Kurtz is cool. Like he's a he's a fucked up character, but it's not the same. You know what I mean? I think part of it was that people were kind of maybe he was tired of. Uh... Francis Ford Coppola was tired of Marlon Brando's shit. <laughs> it could be. He is known. He is notorious for being super difficult. Uh, yeah. Which, which I'm like, like you shouldn't be difficult to work with just in general. But this yeah. is one of those cases where I'm like, all right, you get a pass. I think I. I don't know. I maybe you get a pass for for The Godfather, but oh, not but not for. Not for other stuff. You can't keep doing that. You know. No, no, no. You, you can't. can't. And you have. You can't keep being difficult to work with. And and then the oh, the art. That's just his madness. That's his madness. No, 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 no. no. Fuck be, that. No, 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 no. no. You're you're responsible. Be an adult. You are a hundred percent correct. And 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 that's why I I even flinch at the idea of saying you get a pass for this one because then it's like we're well, done giving passes. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like if you give me a pass for this, then this next world's gonna blow your mind because again. Marlon was very difficult on multiple sets. He even went on to do something pretty fucking gross, which, um, I, I mean, that might be a really interesting uh, film to rewatch in the era of Me Too. The film... Um, Last Tango in Paris? Yes. Because that has an infamous... I, I think I believe it's a rape scene. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. we mentioned this in the first part, but it's I think it's a rape scene. Uh, but the actress wasn't raped, but she was assaulted. Like, it, it, like it was very uncomfortable. Um, yeah, but yeah, you don't you, you don't get a pass. This is your one. This is I'm sorry, man. This is your one. But and even then, it's like, well, there's a possibility of a two. But it's, whatever. He he did a great job in this film. I don't. I didn't see anything about him being difficult to work with on this film in particular. But I just know he has that reputation. Yes, he does. Um, which yeah, I I I mean, there's multiple books on this film. So I'm sure, and there's a TV show about the making of it. So, 
Maybe we'll get into it in our second part of the episode. Yes. Well, third part. And let, so actually, so, um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean this, before we get to the, the history of the film, story's great. Acting's phenomenal. Cinematography. I mean, we could, we, there's an entire lesson in cinematography here, but it is great. One thing I did want to note about the cinematography was how they used, they filmed with long lenses and they filmed wide to give the impression that like people are watching the characters you know what i mean like they're being spied Ooh. on and i, I don't really know if i it. felt that huh i don't know if i felt that i felt it especially during like some of the exterior scenes where it's like at the wedding it feels like people are being oh watched. yes at the wedding definitely uh like it, it definitely gives off the impression that like there, like the the camera is grounded like it is on tripods it is grounded it, they're not doing anything flashy and it's meant to kind of give the impression that it is like from a from someone's perspective, right? Whether it's the main characters or someone watching the main characters, and it holds up really well. The lighting—it's really dark. People weren't used to how dark this movie was, but it really sells the CD underworld that the family is in. The editing is amazing as well. Fuck, there's so much to talk about because the editing, particularly at the end, where they're intercutting between the baptism and the assassinations. Yeah. You know, where it's like, do you renounce Satan? I do renounce them. And then the organ. Michael Francis Rizzi, do you renounce Satan? I do renounce him. And then Clemenza unloads on an elevator of people. Which I'll say this, Clemenza's my favorite character. I love yeah, Clemenza. I think so. I, I... <laughs> I love Clemenza. Like, Clemenza's my guy. If I ever started a mob, I need a Clemenza. <laughs> oh, that dude's great. And the first time yeah, we see he's... him, he's like dancing and he's just drinking wine. Like, yeah, he... he's the guy that's like loyal. Uh, he shows him how to shoot a gun. <laughs> he, he's loyal he doesn't to do fault. anything like bad bad mm-hmm. like he kills people but yeah. the people he kills are killers yeah. so it doesn't feel as bad mm-hmm. he he respects his wife he yeah. <laughs> which is you know not very common in this movie yeah he loves her he's with he's, her he, he's like with her uh a few times in the film and he doesn't cheat on her like sonny does so yeah i think he's He's the, uh, the the lovable brute, I guess. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> he teaches 
he teaches Michael how to cook some uh some Oh, that's right. He teaches and, him how and to he's cook. like, Why don't you tell that nice girl you love her? <laughs> oh yeah, Clemenza is the best, dude. Yeah, Clemenza's <laughs> dope as fuck. <laughs> He's so he's so he's so cool. He's so chill. If I ever if I'm ever in the mob, I need a Clemens. I'm taking applications. <laughs> if you think you're a lovable Italian dude that can fuck up some people but do it in a fun way, call me up. If I ever start a mob. Tell me you love me. I can't talk. Can you say it? Yeah, I'll see you tonight. Hey Mikey, why don't you tell that nice girl you love her? I love you with all of my heart. If I don't see you again soon, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Come over here, kid. Learn something. You never know. You might have to cook for 20 guys someday. You see? You start out with a little bit of water, and you fry some garlic. Then you throw in some tomatoes, some tomato paste. You fry it. You make sure it doesn't stick. Mm-hmm. You got it to a boil. You shove in all your sausage and your meatballs. Huh? And a little bit of wine. A little bit of sugar, and that's my trick. Why don't you cut the crap? I got more important things for you to do. How's Paulie? Oh, Paulie won't see him no more. All right, so, I mean, we've been talking for the past two hours about this movie, and there's still so much to talk about. We haven't even really broken down the cinematography and editing. We've talked about it, but there's there's so much. There's so, this is uh, one of the most highly regarded films of all time. And it is from 1972, which means there's a lot of research. A lot of a lot of mouths have been flapping about the making of this movie. And we wanted to give a enough time to that part of our episode specifically for The Godfather because it is turning 50. It's a big anniversary and it's a big anniversary, a big anniversary for one of the biggest films of all time. We, we really want to break it down. But, you know having a two a two hour and 40 minute episode it it could be long especially since it's celebrating a big anniversary we want people to listen to this and really you know chew on this these episodes yeah so also i got sick in in between recording this so that took a week off of our our time which hey it, <laughs> it happens like you know hey man at this point in this era getting sick is not a joke anymore even if it's like a yeah. cold or a flu or anything yeah. Um, so what we're deciding to do is we're going to have this Godfather episode split into two parts. So this first part that you just listened to next week, we're going to be releasing a part where we talk about the behind the scenes of this film, because as we've mentioned, the making of this film was crazy. They're making a goddamn TV show about it. Right. So what mm-hmm. the fuck happened? Why is this such a big deal? Why? Why? And that's what we're going to get into. So. We're going so on top of that, the week following that next part, we're going to be talking about our next film, which is Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation. And Austin and I actually had a plan of talking about this film in March because it was International Women's Month, right? Right. But scheduling this movie being so massive, it's gonna be pushed up until April. But we still we we haven't talked enough about female directors right and it being like international women's month it's like hey let's you know especially talking about a very a very masculine movie exactly (laughs) and what better film what better filmmaker to talk about than sofia coppola the daughter 
of Francis Ford Coppola, <laughs> the director of this film. It's kind of like a double whammy. Like, it works out perfectly. We're going to talk about her directorial debut. What I've heard, I've never seen it, and I've heard amazing. I've never seen it either. It's going to be A. A, man. We're, we're, do, we're great. We've never seen it. I've heard great things about it. So we're going to talk about it in two weeks. But for now, next week, expect a second part to this episode. All right. See ya in one week.